Oh, boys, we are back for another week of SVS Live Fishing Podcasting. That song, okay, all I could think about is um, Will Ferrell singing that to, uh, I don't know the other actor, but in Step Brothers, in the bedroom, <laughs> when he's like, and he sings like, I can't, oh, what he says, uh, that's like Jesus and somebody else, or whatever, but yeah, that's all I could think about. Well, I, I hadn't heard the The, the na- acoustics in here are very, gr- are, are very good. <laughs> I haven't heard the name Bonnie Raitt in probably a dozen years. And then I heard it three times on Wednesday. I was like, oh, we have to play some Bonnie Raitt on the podcast. <laughs> so let's give him something to talk about, man. Hey, happy Super Bowl Sunday to you guys. We got a big guest coming on tonight. Mr. Mark Sadati is coming on. I can't wait to talk to him. So, It'll be uh, a fun one. It is going to be a fun one. Um, hey, tonight's show brought to you by Predator Fly Gear. Check them out at PredatorFlyGear.com. A-Rex Hooks, freshwater, saltwater, A-Rex-Hooks.com. We are being brought to you live from the Urban Fly Company studios. Check Mark out at urbanflycompany.com. Why not fishing? In their app, The Dock. Yeti, built for the wild. Sims Fishing, fish it well, simsfishing.com. Hey, and if you guys are looking for some uh, materials, hooks and stuff, check out our boy Ryan Evans at Queen City Guiding. Hey, Jace is here too. Hey, what's up, buddy? Give us a yell. <laughs> we, we pulled him off the ice. <laughs> so, uh, we got some stuff to talk about this week. Uh, Jason did some ice fishing. I did a lot of boat maintenance, uh, welding and shit. Uh, Mark has some fucking killer flies laying here on the table tonight. Let me tell you what. That Thunder Creek man is going to crush mm. some fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> small all, stream, small these. All I can think about is farm pond bass in a oh. crappie. That Thunder Creek too. It's gonna suspend just right. Where'd it go? I got a free Stop upgrade on the uh, free upgrade on the the raft. What happened with that? Let's let's get into that first. I what? saw I saw a pile of seats, and you said uh, yeah. So I go up my dad's attic to get the uh, sled. <laughs> I don't know if we want to tell this story. If I or they'll call uh, they might call uh, CYS. Yeah, on you. I don't think so. We might just leave that one alone. But uh, so we go up to get a sled. You know, gonna do some sled riding, and uh, I see a couple boat seats sitting there, and they're all. They're little, I mean, they had some dirt and dust on them. That was about it. And nice and padded. They're just like the seats nice. I had. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, dude, awesome. It's like, like a told you. Plastic back style. Yeah. They're like the same ones I had, but they have like pads the on short, the back and Like pads the short on. back style. Is that what you're talking? Just like the one, like identical to like the plastic ones huh. I had, but with actual padding all over them. Any beer, beer yeah, holders? That, no, no beer holders <sighs> yet. I got I to gotta, I gotta work a couple beer holders in there. Get like the attachable ones and just put a couple screws, screws in them. Yeah, yeah, that's all. Something like that. Ratchet like right strap, or, not ratchet strap, ratchet but zip, strap. <laughs> zip tie. Yeah, that's all I know how to fix shit with, Mark. <laughs> Duct tape and ratchet straps. Oh, fuck. Yeah, you'll see the, the hood day. on my sled. Bring a rivet tool. But yeah, Probably. I know Mar- you've been doing some real stuff. I just been uh, that was just a uh, four bolts and a uh, four bolts right in and out. That'd be nice and comfy now, though. Yeah, a little better than before. Yeah. Well, I have been doing some real stuff, man. Um, there's a l- my boat is a homemade aluminum drift boat, and um, when Jasper made it, if you go back through the history, you can hear Jasper talk about it when he was on the show. Um, he was just learning to, to TIG weld at the time, and um, he's he set some things up, and it was it was a test, you know? He'd never built a boat. He sells Anheuser-Busch for a living, uh, and I'd never built a boat. I You know, I'd fix trucks, but now that the boat's been – we put a – a bunch of miles on it in the last five years and got to figure out what we like and what we don't like. Um, 
I lifted the floors up. I found some cracked welds because, you know, not the best rower here. Hit stuff and uh, oh, yeah. stuff flexes and the welds cracked. So it happens. Um, I went through and I, I beefed some stuff up underneath. I fixed the anchor system. So it's going to be. That looks so nice now. So it's going to be a little bit easier to pull up. I still have to. I'm going to add another pulley onto it. I'm going to get rid of the, the conduit in the back and put a pulley back there. Excuse me. And that way, uh, it, it's going to straight re- lines it. It's going to reduce a bunch of friction. Yeah. Um. So that that's pretty cool. Uh, that's real cool. And then I put a a four inch lift kit on the seat on the rower's seat. Yeah, I saw that. Um, not so much. It doesn't matter how tall you are, but it it adjusts the angle of the oars. So you remember when you sat in my boat and you were rowing? The the oars were like above your nipples. It's going to lower them to like just below where my flop sweat is. So that that's going to be nice. It's going to be more comfortable for a, for a full day of rowing. And man, I love working with that aluminum spool gun. <laughs> it it's it's a cool machine. I went down yesterday and I I put two more welds on just because cuz I want your boss is pretty cool about it. Hey, he's not pretty cool, but he's all right with me welding at work. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Evan. <laughs> Can you take that out where I was at today? Can we, is there a put in for that? Where you were at today? Mm-hmm. So like the 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 launch, the takeout. You can put in there. Yeah, but I'm saying with your boat. Is there somewhere we can put your boat in and use that as a takeout? Yeah, yeah. The 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 beer store. We can put your boat in there. Yeah, I don't see why not. I wouldn't mind dragging it. Not now. Oh no, no, not now. <laughs> it's, it's all I tell you up. what, though, it's just gorgeous green water right now, though. Yeah, there's just not a whole lot to be caught. It, it's a long float for the uh, for the speed of the water. Oh, right now it would be, yeah, yeah. It's What's it's the... like an eight and a half mile float. Yeah, you're talking a long time. That's gonna be like a death float. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if we if we learn it and learn where the fish are and learn yes. the spots Power. to just push through, mm-hmm. yeah, it, sure, yeah. we can do it in a day. You know, yep. a comfortable day. What um, were three mid threes on ours, which probably would put that confluence at mid six hundreds. I don't would, know. I I I never even looked at. It. I don't want to look at it because I don't. I don't want to get involved with that one as well. We we added that new one that I'm looking at it every day, and uh, I'm still looking at ours and. Just more numbers to get confused in my head. <laughs> you can only have so many wrinkles up in your brain, right? Three eighty two is where we're at. So, yes, sir. So we have the guest tonight coming on in fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes, got it. Ish. Jace, can you talk about some ice fishing in fifteen minutes? Yeah, I could fuck that. <laughs> I could fill a day. I know you can fill a day, but can we keep it last, to fifteen? Oh yeah, last <laughs> like what I would like to say. What was the beginning was like last Friday. We got out on some ice and. People were out abroad, you know, setting the towns up. So I'm sure people ventured out maybe before, but I was steady checking it. So got out on it last week, uh, Friday, hit a bunch of perch and just just was happy to get on the ice, me and a buddy. But that was at Pimatuming Lake. So the next day, I, you know, that got reports of people going on the lake. I really like to ice fish for walleye, target them out there. People were on it. So we were going the next morning uh got a hold of like jason's cousin he wanted to go my uncle he's he's ready to rock or anything ice fishing and we got out there my brother-in-law joined in so four guys who 
kind of know their shit, you know, can catch fish. And we, I drilled 75 holes. I drilled the shit out of it, you know, make, make a jump, make a jump, make a That's jump. That's going to make it much stronger, right? And you're make using, me much stronger. You're using all hand augers. And yeah, stuff. yeah. But there was, there was limited ice. I mean, there was nothing. It, it's grown since in that last week I watched it, you know, put, put some inches on, especially up north. So, uh, but that day, and, how many inches is safe for you? I'll go on three inches. I mean, that's plenty. If you if you you know how strong ice really is, and it's the right ice, but watching it form and knowing where there wasn't ice and then there was, and the conditions we had with limited snow, there's a lot of black ice out there, which is sketchy to look at and walk on, and is the strongest though. You see what I'm saying? So we got a great base out there. We didn't have the snow on. It was very few spots that I would say. You know, there's some pressure ridges starting to build, but it's good ice, man. And I don't know. I've, I've been out all over every, you know, de- different spots of the lake. I'd say you're completely good to, you know, venture abroad pretty much everywhere. And if you're there daily, you know the cracks or what's what's going on with the shore. So had a big wind that, that could mess things up. But back to last weekend. Saturday we got on the ice. It was slow. I'm talking, we're marking no fish, so I'm moving and mark one or two were you at the place where you and me went yeah oh yeah no i'm going to the the mecca which i think if they're there is that where you you, you were today or yesterday no no hell okay. no i mean those fish aren't in that system but i, I didn't think so was... dude <laughs> i'll get to that okay. but so so uh so the kid well, um tell I'm me to here. slow my roll yeah slow your roll slow your roll i had i had you know i went out, i got a few days in and i got to hit some fish and and it's all getting back into rhythm dude just imagine there being a fly fishing season, you guys you be trying to keep up on it, brush up and get your practice. Like, how do you how do you get ready to strip set if you're not strip setting? You know, it, it's tough. So when you get to the, the shit that's important, you want to be ready. So getting out and getting them early, you know, practice runs in and before you for counts, you know, I mean, you talking about practice. Yeah. Well, when you go out and you smack like 30 to 50 perch you get a rhythm of setting that hook reading the graph and doing all that in motion and finding what they like so that then that plays in the next day and it all changes but i got three walleye that day and we marked very few fish we kept three walleye Did you mark three that was all that's <laughs> what like i caught the ones i was wondering if these guys you know did you mark walleye or was that the only walleye couldn't have been but we weren't getting turned down much we fish we were marking we were catching and then it got stale and we were out there for hours and i was like this is stupid and and when I tell people, oh, I got three walleye, crop eater, eyes light up, I've worked hard for those, and I know my shit, and we spent the time. I wouldn't say that's that's a bus trip, but that, yeah, I got dinner, but, I mean, it was a lot of work, you know? It's not not a given. Ice fishing is, there's no you easy You put that much fishing. in, you want a bag or two in the freezer. Yeah, I want I want to share dinner. We want dinners maybe for a couple guys, so it's it's is what it is it's always a lot of work and and potentially you know you get some product out of it but it was a fun day everybody caught fish and we we knocked the dust off so the next day we hit another area it was shitty i was like i'm out of here snow on the ground hard to drag and tried a small area that didn't have good ice like a private lake hit some fish and i was i was still leery man i was like man this doesn't have the ice i like so didn't go far got out of there i was by myself and then Saturday is coming, you know. I my uncle always wants to fish him or days he get he can get out and take the time and and he's getting older to the point where he you take him, you know what I mean, you got to take him to catch fish. Like it ain't no wasting time or making him do the work. I'm doing the work. I got to drill the holes. I got to find a 
fish and try to get us in a good position, which it's not really pressure. It's just, it's a lot of work when you're ice fishing. There's nothing dependable. There's nothing dependable. I fucking this time hate drilling here. holes. Hell with that. Yeah, it keeps what you are you at right now? Fish. Five, six? Oh, yeah, easy. It's probably upwards of seven up That's north. not too bad, though. You get, as soon as you get it rolling, it pops through. Yeah, over point. five, though. I mean, anything you start getting over five, it starts to get to oh, be a yeah. little work. Three yeah. holes in 45 oh, turns. Yeah. You know, I put three holes for three guys, and that's damn near 50 turns on the auger, and I'm He-Man, you know. So, can I ask you a question? Hell, yeah. When you're uh, when you're drilling all these holes, how do you keep from sweating to keep you from getting cold later in the day? You know what I mean? Yeah, I dude, I wear a lot of clothes because when it's 10, there's no sacrificing. And then, you know, you, know, you can't bust your ass and race to a spot, but wear two hats, take that hat off, regulate you know your temperature is take do you take your jacket off when you're drilling holes? i know oh, sure. i have i have like i say I, I it might sound odd but i wear two suits i mean the the big bibs and the big coat are for extreme cold and wind and you rarely ever wear the coat ever especially when you're walking but the other gear is to cut the wind mostly and to be on my knees and stay protected i can get against the ice and with those bigger bibs, but I'm out there to stay warm. I'm layered to shit. I'm the smallest guy out there. There's no doubt about it. I got to dress the, it's hard to dress, you know, bigger guys, are a little more easy to regulate your temp. I know, I know what you mean, Jace. Yeah. No, you, you, it, the walks would make you sweat versus what does me. So yeah, it's important. Are you call me fat, you motherfucker. No, just you, when you, when you say you sweat under your boobs, I'm just assuming. A sausage McMuffin makes him sweat. Just smelling it. It's a look it's at pressure. It. But, yeah, Bill, no, I, I drill a Bill ton of Ward. holes and move. Like, you're not running around, though. So, in it, it's so cold, it's equaling out. You do your work, take that break. But uh, we we did okay. Had a good day. I got walleye dinner. Kids loved me for bringing a crappie home. They're like, what's these little ones? I'm like, they're perch fish sticks. They're great, huh? And they love that. So, mm-hmm. I, I put a bunch of fish in, in the grease and then... But it was it was this weekend now, so we get out early. I'm like, I'm gonna be there at seven. I pull in, the freaking place is packed. I mean, everywhere's been packed. There's a lot of people ice fishing. Not sure if it's a lot of new people, but I know in the last few years it's booming. The this ideas, is the Rona fishing season, bro. Rona mm. fishing year. People are out in full well, effect. The big lake up, up north of us, not the, the big big lake. Yeah, the one in between. That's where I went yesterday. Yeah, I heard it was well over 300-plus people at the one place. Oh, my. Uh, uh, I mean, I looked out, and there's just, like, a big cluster of people. I'm like, wow. And then I look south, and there's one more cluster, another cluster. I'm like, these guys either better know what they're doing or it's a circle jerk. And I hate to say. Well, that's always fun, too, I though. hate to say that what it, what attracts there fishermen. Them white bass more fishermen. Dude, if you could do that on a fly rod, oh, slap yeah. your mom. I, I was there. thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you don't know the numbers I've caught. I have never. I mean, you went north or south? So south. Did, south. did you bring any of them for uh, to fry up for tonight? A guy I know wanted some. I didn't bring <laughs> well, any here, but you know I mean, what? I, I've tried them myself, and we've kept them on a handful of times. How big? We've grilled them. How big stuff. is a big one? Tell I, me I, what you think. How big is a big a white big? bass? 14 to 17. You were holding some uh, big ones. Ah, my God. They were all trophy <laughs> class then. Like, these things were, I got six-inch hole. Their backs, you know, with the, like, the, without the spikes up, were touching belly to back through a six-inch hole. What are they, 18, 20-inch? 
18s. We may have got some over that. The tails Jeez. on them were five inches long. The tail, they had huge rudders, dude. Yeah, they had paddles. So, yeah, you hook a giant like that. You're like, oh, shit, you're struggling over there. People, you know, I wasn't around nobody, luckily, or people would have been like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. <laughs> you would have been over there. You pull these things up, and their eyeballs as big as a quarter or damn near. I'm like, holy shit. It looks like a big crappie at first, or, or you catch that light blue color. It looks like a walleye. You're like, what the fuck? And then this big what fish is comes this out. Thing? Yeah, all right, get a gaff out and shit. But, you know, I pull one of them. And then the oddest thing is we were on them, like on the spot, or unless they were abroad, because we were pulling one after another. And it got to the point where I was like, well, let me put this big-ass lure down there. And they were hitting it, dude. And a big fish like that in ice season hits so light. But I caught that mixed with walleye, mixed with crappie, mixed with perch. All out of the same All hole. in the same school. In the same hole right there. Yeah, and, and you couldn't, like at times you could kind of tell how on the graph they would set up and look at your bait or how they would approach it. Like, oh, that's a crappie. And he would hit it, and it was telltale crappie, bite, you know, slack line, got him. Would the white, this is stupid, would the white bass, could you see them on the graph or would they just come and like kind of no, swipe? They'd no, be, they, be you'd see them on the graph. They read it. They, they played the slow game just like every other fish really? would in winter and get right up and nip it. So so every bite felt like a baby smelt. <laughs> and then you'd set the hook, and you're 20. I'm fishing like 28 feet, 25. We're deep. And you'd, you'd be like, oh, I don't know. It's kind of medium weight. And then you're like, oh, shit, it starts running side, doing circles, lines pinging off the whole ding, 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 ding. Like, these fuckers were scrapping, dude. And I, like, at, at first, I'm like, fucking bass. What the fuck, bass? You know, getting so many of them. And I'm like, this fucking fun. Yeah. Laughing my ass off every time I hook one. I'm like, ah! <laughs> Ah, fucking right. You had the giggle bugs. Oh, my God. It, you know, I pulled up a, like a 23-inch walleye. As soon as I set the shack up, I'm like, all happy. Like, this is great. And get back down there. There's a bunch of big bass. I'm like, well, you can't beat this. If you like catching fish and, and went ice fishing is a small fish game. It's a small fish game. You know, you got people targeting perch that are five inches, you know, 10 inches max in a lot of places. To catch a 17-plus fish that's scrapped. Oh man, it was a day. So don't don't tell us where you were or anything. But uh, were you targeting structure or were you like just bottom, the channel bottom contour? Well, a river, you know, the <gasps> the channel runs through and it's what pretty depth were you at there? That's like Deep? a yeah twenty five yeah twenty seven in that area. It's the, the mid channel. Oh, I boy, mean, down the bottom, <laughs> all the way. All the fish. <laughs> the, the only fish that, dude, the only fish that kind of like swam, shit, swam through real high was that walleye. I'm like, oh, there's a mark real high. I reeled it up to him. I was like, jig, 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 pow, and just stuck him. Like, <laughs> it did, and it didn't matter. It did not matter on those bass. We threw down like a every lure, every rattle, every different type, big stuff, little stuff. They would just take it. Dude. They wanted it. Yeah, that's crazy. But they're, right but, the but dude, we we caught him yeah, in the four inch great. class size. Then like a 12, 13 inch class, like that's a couple different year classes. Right there, man. They can't eat one of those eighteen inches. I guarantee it. Muskies, that thing is as big as a muskie's head in just armor. They are. They're they're yeah. stacked. They get the side plates and dude, there's nothing touching that fish in there once it gets past. Because it was weird the 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 stages I seen them in the year class. They were sleeker, longer as they were in the, the mid-teens. And then once they hit over 15, they just grew like a pie plate, like re real top to bottom. Kind of like I, I tell you, hybrids do. Our, our, as I say, our wipers, 
they definitely they get the smarts from the striper, but they definitely get the breed and the build and the fight and everything from the white bass. Them white bass are crazy. I've I've fished a white bass run before, and that's like right the, our river, yeah, the upper or, portion. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I mean, yep. that was the only time I've ever like ran into them with any size that were more than a couple. Mm-hmm. I, a buddy of mine told Duke me about up in this. The lower end of that, heavy. A kid told me about this like ten years ago, and I'm like stripers or what the fuck you mean you're catching and, and i was like yeah i've caught little ones you know four inches out of shenango bunches of them like you get on a bucket full it seems like and he's like no i'm talking some big big white bass and i'm like ah, i never seen him went to a new area i never fished this area and dude that was just insane to have non-stop action on decent sized fish like that's that's a lot of guy and then the pressure was off your bass fishing right yeah man <laughs> i don't see how bass fishermen get so worked up man Damn, relax, you, but it's basses. You didn't have a glitter boat. No, hell no. I had two of them on my feet. I was like, <laughs> skiing around. It, but it was it was awesome because we got in between all those big packs was by nobody. Nobody even thought come fish over by us. And I don't I think they may have been pulling some of them elsewhere here and there. But So were you making noise or were you trying to keep it low profile? No, I definitely was tucking them in the, the shut the shanty up, don't throw the you know, some guy come creeping by, I was like, watch him. <laughs> <laughs> he stopped out there and I, I'm like, peeking out the side, give him a look. But that's yeah, ice fishing. Man. Hey, if you want some white bass, dude, shh, I'll put you on him. I mean, uh, I I don't know if they bite like that. All, if they bite like that all the time, I would go there if fishing was hard. You know, if fishing got hard, like, who don't want to have a go have a great day ice fishing? Because if you just beat yourself up and beat yourself up and beat yourself up, it it can't be fun. That's the honey hole then. Dude, you know? it was it was awesome. It, but in, in this area, I, I'm talking 50, yeah, probably 100 yards by 100 yards. It seemed like we could bonk one of those it at any hole. It was in Pennsylvania? Hole. Yeah, okay. we walked out off of PA side, but on the on the adjoining, you know, lake between states, Pymatuming has every single fish in it, you know, 50-inch muskies, apparently, potentially record white bass. Uh, I didn't have any idea those were in there. Dude, me, not like that. <laughs> no, no, not like that. I That was, that was an, an, an incredible experience to, you know, I've caught those fish before through the ice, but I never had a run like that at them you know so just a good day ice fishing and i'm hoping to get back out and enjoy it some more soon but we got plenty ice man yeah man i can't wait to hear more about this after our uh after our guest coming up what do you think man should we go take a break and uh come back with mr mark yes sir You want to know who probably really liked that? We talk about your work, how your boss is a jerk. We talk about your church and your head when it hurts. We talk about the troubles you've been having with your brother, about your daddy and your mother and your crazy ex-lover. We talk about your friends and the places that you've been. We talk about your skin and the dimples on your chin. The polish on your toes and the run in your holes. And God knows we're going to talk about your clothes. You know talking about you makes me smile. But every once in a while... And we are back with Mark Sadati. How's it going, Mark? How you doing, man? Pretty good, Chad. How about yourself? Oh, I'm having a great Sunday afternoon. So good. Hey, could you uh, could you introduce yourself for uh, for all the listening community? 
Yeah, hi, I'm Mark Sedati. Uh, I live in Sag Harbor, Long Island. I'm originally from Portchester, New York, and I spent a lot of time in Greenwich, Connecticut, which is right on the New York border with Portchester, uh, right on Route 95 on the shores of western Long Island Sound. So, Nowadays, I do a lot more fishing. We're closer to Montauk and the east end of Long Island, so I do more saltwater fishing. Uh, living in that out, area. Out there. Living in that area, stripers and the uh, the bluefish, was that your main target? Yeah, stripers, bluefish, and false albacore when they're in season in the fall. And is that where you learned and honed your uh, your long-distance casting? Yes. On the beaches? Uh, well, actually, you know, in the western sound around Porchester, Greenwich, um, most of the shoreline areas are taken up by private residences and clubs, private clubs. So a lot of the time, the only way we could get out and fish large areas was uh, on boats. So almost everybody had boats. So I actually haven't done that much shore fishing in saltwater. Many people think I do, but they got primarily a, you know, like a surf fisherman. But no, almost, I can say almost all, but... Easily 90, 95% of what of the fishing I've done in saltwater has been from boats. So I started casting from boats. Do you find any advantage to to the longer casts from a bo- or, uh, from a boat as compared to yeah, someone who can just sleep? Yeah, I thought that the casting long from a boat was more important and more vital than casting from shore. A lot of the times you fish from shore and you could get uh, fish right in the surf. You get them right in the lip. Uh, you have a lip in the surf, just like you could have a lip in a, in, a, in the Pierre Marquette River, you know, or the Osable there. You have a you have a, a similar thing right near the shoreline. That's often where the fish feed. So sometimes you had to cast a long way, sometimes not. But I found that from the boat, very often I had to cast longer, just like I had to do with a spinning rod. And yeah. You have these fantastic flies, the uh, the Sadati Slammer, just as one of them, and it's a giant fly. Or it can be a giant fly. Did that come? Right. Did that come from your days spin fishing when they could make bigger lures, and you're just trying to imitate that? Uh, pretty interesting. Well, that's why I got into tying flies, uh, and why I got into why I wanted to cast longer because I came from fishing plugs, I was a plugging nut. Now, a few years before, I'd started fly fishing, but mostly I had uh, just trout fish with the fly rod and a little bit of bass fish. And um, so I'd become a plugging nut, and I, w- I wanted to catch big fish on plugs. So I would take my spinner rod, I would use relatively big plugs, eight inches or so, and I knew in order to catch the big fish, I had to cast them a long way, and I had to do it in a bucking sea from a boat. I mean, that's what I commonly did, or I might have to do commonly. So I thought that, well, if I want to fly fish through these things, I want to catch big fish, so I'm going to have to cast big flies. A big fly for me at the time would be seven inches, I thought. You know, I hadn't started tying, and I'm going to have to cast it as long as I cast a uh a spinning plug, and I'm going to have to do it in a bucking boat, you know? So I just practiced my casting. Um, 
And I could get a long distance. I read Lefty Cray's book about fly fishing in salt water. He says all salt water casters should be able to have a goal of casting 100 feet. I said, okay, you know, that would be my goal, 100 feet with this big fly. And I could do it in the wind, and I could do it in a bucking rough sea. And I thought that every decent saltwater fly caster, not good, but decent, could do that. Just I took it for granted. It went, it went out there, and I worked on it, and I doing that. And, <clears throat> I was and, talk- and I found out years later that that really wasn't that common, and a lot of people, like almost everybody, couldn't do that. But, but I took it for granted. I just thought that it was a natural thing, and, and almost every saltwater fly rider could do that. This is before I started tying. And then when you started tying, how did the the progression of your flies go from from the seven inch flies that you were buying to the uh, to what you're known for? Yeah, good question. Okay, so the primary bait on Western Long Island Sound was the adult bunker, the adult menhaden. And uh, we call the Moss Bunker or Bunker. That was the, uh, the slang, the colloquial name in New England. It's often called Pogie, and uh, and and whatever else. So we called them Bunker, and it was the common bait for uh, striped bass and bluefish. And the adult was from ten to fifteen inches long. It was blowing me away. I couldn't find any pat- any bunker patterns that were bigger than five inches. What's, what's happening here? You know, there are no really big flies that copy of these things. You know, I want to copy them some way. I've had other people tying me flies that were smaller bunker imitations, but they uh, copied the immature stage of the bunker, which is five or six inches, and then peanut bunker, they call them, which are about three and a half inches, but I couldn't find a really big fly. So, I had to start tying. I was forced to tie, and I, I taught, learned to tie uh, with a reason, you know? And I just started tying different size bunker patterns, and I started just tying them bigger and bigger, and uh, I came up... Uh, well, I'll tell you the, the story of how I came up uh, with the slammers. So uh, it was about three weeks after I started tying, and uh, I wanted to tie this pattern by Lou Tabry, who was a very well-known striper fisherman with the fly rod. You know, we would go, like, I learned the, the hand, the, put the butt in the armpit and the hand over hand retrieve, you know, that two-handed retrieve. I learned that. We all learned it, buddy, uh, at Orvis, New York, at a seminar by Lou Tabry, who was from... Uh, who was from Connecticut, and Lou had tied a thing called the slab side. That thing was about five inches long, maybe six inches long. He tied it with bucktail and a clipped deer hair head, and it kind of looked like a wedge, you know, but, but he used it as a bunker imitation. He caught some really big fish on it. Well, uh, I looked at his pattern, or I actually didn't have one. I just, you know, I had what his pattern looked like in my mind. And I wanted a bigger pattern, obviously, because I wanted something that would look more like an adult bunker. So uh, I just had the basic material that I started tying with three weeks before, some bucktail, some feathers, um, you know, whatever else, not much. 
And, uh, well, he used bucktail for the back part of his fly. And, well, the buck, no wonder he could only get the fly five inches, six inches. I couldn't just get my fly. I, I wanted it longer. I couldn't get a, a fly bigger than that with bucktail. So I said, well, we have to do what he does with bucktail with feathers because then I can make a longer fly. So I put feathers off the back, and I didn't think anything about the deceiver. I've been tying deceivers, but deceivers in my mind were long and thin. So I wanted to get a, a slab slider, but I'd have to use feathers to make it long. So I put feathers in there. I got some off the back, and then I, I said, well, how am I going to make a, a wide profile? Well, I know Joe Brooks has the high tie, so maybe I'll high tie and I'll low tie the feathers then. Feathers in front of that, which were shorter, and in front and on the bottom. And then after that, I maybe tie in some more feathers. And I said, boy, I hope that I can get the bunker profile with this. And then I found out, gee, I don't know how to spin deer hair. I just don't know how to do that. So instead, what I'll do is I'll just tie and low tie clumps up the shake of the hook. Maybe that will work. Okay, uh, I do that, and I put some peacock curl in there. I had some fairly long peacock curl, and uh, and I would test my fly out in my bathroom sink, just across the hall from where I was tied. Okay, so that's where I'm tied in there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's it. And I could adjust the feathers, and I could adjust the peacock curl. Didn't take me didn't take me long. Didn't take me a lot of uh, you know a lot of flies to do this with. Wow, I think I got a pretty good uh, profile there. I really wanted to have an accurate profile for my fly. So all in all, the first fly tie was about eight inches long, eight, nine inches long. I was thinking, well, that's pretty good. You know, that's pretty good. So we'll do that one. And then we'll have other stages. And I tied one that was smaller, which was the immature bunker stage. And, of course, that's the one that ended up being the trout slammer that size, which would be from about five, five and a half inches to seven and a half inches, commonly nowadays six to seven and a half. But that was the immature bunker size, and that was easy to do. And then I tried a peanut bunker size, and I didn't like the way that one looked in the water so much. I didn't use that as much. I'd use something else. And I'm also thinking, you know, why don't I try a really big one? I know you can't cast it. Maybe I can't even cast the 8-incher. So I just played around with a tandem hook. Two hooks uh, with braided wire between them. And, uh, I mean, I, I simply just started playing around with feathers on the back hook, feathers on the front hook, how I could get a, a large profile fly like the bunker or whatever. I just winged it with what I thought would probably work. The damn thing that it turned out is that, like, almost right away, almost from the start, everything that he did that I tried worked. You know? One Lucky. Thing, one, thing I, one thing I did was I used peacock curl, and, and I didn't want the feathers display. You understand what I'm saying? Splayed mm -hmm. to... Uh, so I, I wanted them to look like one fish, not where they would break apart. Yeah, you want them concave toward each other. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. I didn't want them, you know, like splitting apart so there was space in between them. And I just got lucky. And the same thing with the bucktail. Well, with the peacock curl, I noticed right on, right after I, I 
when I first started flying the first couple flyers, fly, that I would have to have the peacock hurl in front of a couple of, uh, behind a couple of clumps of the bucktail right by the eye of the hook. Otherwise, if I had that peacock hurl right up in front by the eye with the rest of the tie behind there, that peacock hurl would come up out of the profile. I wouldn't get the profile of the fly. It would come up and rise up above the fly, as it were, the rest of the fly. And that was a stickler for profile. And I noticed that if I did that and I'd bucktail ahead of the peacock hurl, then I would have that beautiful profile. I thought that that was important that I had the profile of the thing. Um, so, in, so I took the thing. Yes. Well, in the uh, in the testing of that, when you were using the braided line, did you have any issues of the fly fouling at all in, while you're testing? Um, or what braided line? Didn't you say when you were trying to tandem the tandem hooks? Oh, well, what it did was it was braided wire. Oh, braided wire. Okay. So, so okay, never mind. Excuse me. Wire. Yeah. <laughs> that's so. No, no, I didn't. I, I noticed you that's know, still uh, what you're using to right. this day. So yeah, okay. yeah, that was that was just a uh, you know I just maybe thought I put braid in there. Where no, it was wire. It was the same wire that I was using for bait fishing for bluefish, using cut bait chunks of bunker for bluefish. That's what I had, right? So I used it, and it was plenty stiff enough. Yeah. To uh, for the for the connection, I mean, I, I've used it still, and whatever. That's pretty pretty good for the you know, for that. Did so you, I took uh, the eight-inch fly to the water one day, and this is like the test, you know, outside of the the sink in the bathtub. I put it in the water. I was like, "Oh my god, that looks like a bunker in the water." <laughs> and it just came, it came alive, and it looked like a bunker. You know, you're talking about somebody who just hadn't tied flies for long. I didn't expect this. It's like just whatever I did, it worked, but. I had trouble with my fly wide pole profile flies, and my flies had a tendency to roll. You know, I needed, I didn't want them to roll, and I went to a friend of mine, Tom Piccolo, who uh, was and is a very fine fly tire. He just isn't well known. I mean, I, he went out to the West Coast, I think San Diego. I don't know where he is. I have lost touch with him. I haven't spoken to him in many years, but he said, Sadati, Build yourself a keel. Okay, Tom, how do I do that? I've seen it in Joe Bates' book on streamers and bucktails, but how do I do it? And he explained, oh, try this, or try use some lead or whatever. So lo and behold, I ended up, uh, I had weighted wire. I had lead wire, so I just cut it up into pieces, and I made it into a rectangular box keel with layers. I had... Uh, started out with like a triangular shape and it just evolved to where I needed more weight to kill the fly better and also to weight balance it a little better, which I'll get into. So I built, so I had my eight inch fly and I wrapped the shank of the hook. Maybe I had a three odd mustad hook on there and I wrapped that shank of that hook with maybe pointy, oh, 3.0 wire, and then it went to .035 after that. I wrapped the shank of the hook, and then I put a keel on there. And I did this simply so that the fly would track straight, and I wanted a little more weight on it because 
with all the feathers and the bucktail. I wanted that fly to just get under the surface after it landed. I didn't care if it fished deep or not. You know, I knew that it'd be harder to get a bigger fly to fish deep, but I wanted the thing under the surface quickly so it would be effective right away. So, That's what I was concerned about. So basically just to break the water tension to get the fly down. Yeah, yeah get it under. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it wouldn't float, so when you started stripping it, it wouldn't go right up to the surface real fast and be on the surface going inside. Yeah. You know, uh, I didn't want that. So thank you, Tom Piccolo. What you told me to do really worked. And I bought that 8-incher. I had no problem casting that. I mean, I could cast that a long way, 80 feet, 70 feet, probably 90 feet, too. With the same and rod? I, your... I, I wasn't thinking about weight balancing right now. I just thought that everybody could do this. And that was with the same rod? You didn't find yourself moving up to a, a bigger rod size with the larger flies? Well, at the, at the, no, at the time I was using nine weights and I had a 10 weight. This okay. was in 1991. And I had a 10 weight Sage RPLX, a two piece. So it was a 10 weight rod. And I was using a weight forward floating line. So I ended up again with Supreme weight forward floating uh, 10 line. And I had a long meter. And I used like an eight, eight, nine, 10 inch, 10 inch. 10-foot leader for that. I wasn't thinking about it. I didn't worry about turning over or whatever. I always turned my flies over. And um, so that was no problem. I was, that was standard. I could do that without without thinking. But I had that 13-and-a-half-inch flock, had 20 schlopping feathers in the thing, lots of bucktail. It had a hook and trailer hook in the back. It had wire between the front hook and the trailer hook. I had a keel. Uh, on the front hook, I had uh, the lead wrap around that, too. And you can imagine how much water the feathers absorbed. Those big, wide, webby, beautiful, can't find them anymore feathers. And all that bucktail. And uh, I brought the fly out to the water. And when I put it in the water, once again, it was Wow, that actually looks like a bunker, even three-dimensional. I think it looked like a bunker. I said, wow, look at that. Now let's see how it casts. I didn't think I was going to be able to cast that fly 30 feet. Because anywhere, anywhere I went, anything I read, anything I'd been told by anybody was that you can't. Flies that are eight inches or bigger are uncastable. Like, you simply can't cast them. Maybe you could sort of toss them out the back of a sport fisherman, head feet, to uh, to go after a billfish. So that's the that's where I'm coming from. I mean, I, I just said, well, maybe I'll be able to cast this thing 30 feet, but I got to try anyway, right? Two false casts, boom! The thing is out. The entire length of the fly line. I have a 90 foot cast. Lefty Cray would have been Idiot. proud. I was like, I almost fell out of the boat. My jaw dropped. I literally almost fell out of the boat. I said, oh, my God, they're wrong. They're wrong. Cassie's thing is far as I cast any flight on the first cast. And this is before you started weight balancing them? Uh, This is before I thought about weight balancing. Okay. I had all this weight in the fly. And, of course, I, like even many people do today, believe that weight was um, anathema 
to the castability of a fly. The more weight you had in the fly, the more uncastable it was, right? That weight took away a fly's castability. The lighter it was, the better it was, or the more castable it was. So I, that's man, all that weight and everything. I'm going to be able to throw this. And it just went. It sailed. I mean, it just didn't sail like a rock. It's It sailed like a fly. Like a rocket. Blew me, blew me away. Um, so I started, I you know, I did this for a few weeks, uh, you know, in bliss. And, uh, you know, just to, to, to fish. Go out, catch fish, fish. Just uh, throw the things. And then it sort of dawned on me, you know, this shouldn't be happening. Why, uh... Why am I able to cast this fly like this? You know, I gotta think about reverse engineer the thing. Why does this happen? So I simply came down to the conclusion that it was the weight in the fly that made help make the fly castable. That in a sense made the fly castable. And I realized, you know, all these big flies, they have a lot of wind resistance. And all that weight in the fly is counteracting the wind resistance of the fly. So what it's doing, it's uh, it's simply allowing that fly to um, to be castable because there's so, there's so much drag with a fly that big, with a fly that has that much wind resistance, that you need weight. I mean, right there, I saw it. You need weight to make that fly castable. So, with this cast in doing a situation. Are you I'm sorry? As, as in, in his situ- I'm sorry. In this situation, are you talking about like a Belgian style cast, or are we talking about like a double haul cast with a? No, no, straight ahead. Okay, straight ahead. Uh, Just a stand- forward cast. A standard, yeah, a standard I'm, cast I'm with a double haul. Yeah, not like a, you know? a wide Belgian with a big loop or anything. Oh just a, no, no, just no, a standard no, double no, haul. Standard cast. Yep. Okay. Standard. Gotcha. I always did standard casting. There's. I mean, except for, you know, some of the back casting that I do, since or whatever, that's really not a standard cast, but no, this, I I, I bet came years later. No, it was a standard forward cast, no Belgian cast or, or anything, standard straight away. Yep. And, I mean, you, you, I realized I could do this with just basic casting. Hey, Mark, th- this was in like 91-ish, right? Yeah, this was in 91. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Jay and I are the oldest in the room right now, and we're in first grade 91. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. They so, weren't better fishermen no, than we, me, though. Oh, born they they so, were terrible fishermen um, what, what were the synthetics that were around in that, in that time that you could gain this kind of length in your flies? Uh, were you just going really, to... Really, really, really interesting. The only part of synthetic around then, really, you know, like right at that time was probably, um, it was some sort of fish hair. I mean, you had fish hair, which was very stiff. And for me, it wouldn't get the wide profile that I wanted. And then you had Bob Pobedix tied uh, a big fly maybe a couple years later, which was like he put the whole thing on the hook. He put the whole thing, the whole package on the hook. I forgot what you call it. <laughs> and then he put some fleece over the head and he combed it over the head. Sort of looked like an octopus. Huh. 
How was that to and, cast? And maybe that was the only big fly material that was available at the time that was synthetic. And I couldn't get the profile I wanted with that material. I would have had to cut it, and it just it just didn't work for me. And you have to realize, too, that then when you tried to tie a big fly with synthetic materials that we had about that time, it would tangle mercilessly. You get you start casting it, it tangles, you were dead. Once you hook one fish on it, man, you might as well get rid of the fly. You know, people weren't bringing their brushes to the water yet. You know what I mean? Like brushing their synthetic flies, which they started doing. Maybe Bob did that, or, or someone like Jack Garside would bring a brush and he would do. You know who Jack Garside was? Yeah. Yeah, we heard a name guys, floating oh, around. Oh, okay. So Jack <laughs> yeah. Arthur was a great flyer tire. He was a hilarious guy. Eccentric, but absolutely hilarious. He'd do a fly tying demonstration. As he often did, he'd get his brush out and he'd start brushing his eyebrows. Hilarious. A unique thing to bring a brush. Whatever. So the answer is... Right in 1991, I'll say no. I could be wrong, you know, because, like, I'm a newbie to fly tying, you know. I mean, I have a good access to materials, but I'm I'm still a newbie. It was just a few years later that you started getting the introduction of more of the synthetic materials, you know. I mean, a lot of these came around in popularity simply because of the rise in popularity of Northeast saltwater fly fishing. Now, how was the accessibility to quality bucktail at that time? Um, how the hell do I know? I just went to the fly shop and bought it. <laughs> Touche. Graded by smell. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. My mentality is I need but, bucktail. Uh, okay, so I just so go get it. And was a good tail then? I mean, out of your, you know, recalling, was a good tail yes, then a few there, inches there or was it really, really good? That a lot of the bucktails. That uh, that I saw at various fly shops around were good. I know who I ended up liking. I ended up liking the Orvis bucktail. You know, we had a you didn't have Orvis shops all over the place like you do now, but you had Orvis in New York City starting in 1986. So the Orvis bucktail in New York City was very very good, and it was it was known. So I, I would commonly just. Uh, stop by that store and buy bucktail there for years. Hmm. So, in the transition from the slammer, when did you transition over to your feather slammer? Um, mm, well, it was the feather slammer. Oh, okay. You mean when did I transfer over to a synthetic slammer? Oh, the feather slammer was first, and then the. Yeah, the feather slammer was first. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I didn't. I didn't tie a synthetic slammer. Uh, I didn't tie synthetic flies for a few years. Okay. Hmm. You, you, you know, uh, like that. No, I didn't do that until uh, later. I mean, uh, I had the different size slammers. You know, and I mostly use those at least for a couple of years uh, in salt water. Uh, Lord, say more about the weight balancing thing. About I'll go back to that because I think it's important. In that, uh, you know, 
I went back, I reverse engineered, but then I realized that, well, it's a certain amount of weight that where you need a certain amount of weight when you have a certain amount of wind resistance of the fly. And I knew that if I didn't have enough weight in the fly, I could false cast it and it would drag. Even with the feathers, it would drag. Now, if I increased the weight and I could wrap, you know, weed wire around the shank of the hook, right, so I could increase the weight of the fly, as I did that, um, it would false cast better. Then at one point, it would false cast the best that it would false cast, and oftentimes really easily. And then as I progressively increased weight, it would cast worse and worse, the more weight I added. So I realized that at one point for a, typical, for a particular fly, that fly would false cast and cast best. So I called that point the point of weight balancing. My fly was weight balanced because I knew if a fly didn't drag as much, usually it was smaller, uh, you didn't need as much weight. As the fly got more wind resistant, usually the bigger it got, the more weight you needed in the fly for good castability. This was especially prominent when I started tying the uh, the synthetic slammers. But I noticed this big time uh, with the feather slammers. Then it dawned on me that, oh my God, that's why any fly is castable, because it's weight balanced. The weight in any fly, you're talking about weight not just coming from added weight, but hook weight, absorbed water weight, weight of the materials. It all comes together for the weight in the fly to weight balance the, uh, the, the drag of the wings and materials of the fly. So I said, it doesn't matter what size the fly is. It has to be weight balanced to cast really well. Uh, the weight of the hook in a number 16 dry fly is vital to the castability of that fly. As you get bigger in size of the fly, usually the size of the hook, and the, the uh, gauge of the wire of the hook increases. So you have more weight in the hook, you have more weight with the materials. But those flies casted well, they were weight balanced. And if they weren't weight balanced, if they were too light or if they were too heavy, the tire would take them out fishing, couldn't cast them, they didn't fish well, so they threw them in the tying pit. So by natural selection, as it, as it were, uh, only weight balanced flies ended up being used by fly fishers. Unless in special instances where you had like quid deer hair bass bugs, then and they were known to be terrible casting things because they dragged so much. But they, if you added weight, a certain amount of weight, to your bath bug to the point where you weight balanced it, it would cast well. It would cast way better. It may not function the same, you know, it might sink. Same thing with something heavy. I was pretty, I'm casting weighted nymphs, little things, on my flower on, you know, for bluegill. I said, why don't these things cast well? They're so small. Well, later on, I realized that if I put some more wind-resistant material just enough to weight balance that fly, see, it works in the other direction also, that nymph would cast so much better. It was too heavy. It wasn't weight balanced. Same thing with clouds and minnows. Oh, I can't cast the clouds or minnow. It's so heavy. It's so 
you know, ponderous, uh, whatever, unwieldy and casting will. You add enough materials to that Klaus or minnow where you weight balance it. It will cast really nicely, very easily, but it may not sink the way you want it to. The fly might not function the way you want it to function. So I realized that weight balancing was simply probably the primary reason that flies were castable, and especially that flies were easily castable, was right in front of me. So look at this. And the only reason you could we, we realized that was because it was so significant in the very large flies. Uh, that's all. Maybe more significant, weight balancing might be more significant to the castability of a fly than the weight of the fly line itself. It, like my and, son- I, and I realized this in 1991, 1992, you know, and went all over the country, I've spoken all over the country about it and everywhere. It's an axiom of fly tying and fly fishing. It still hasn't been accepted. You know, Gunner is making this thing well known, you know, because he has popular. Uh, videos and whatever, you know, they're real good or whatever, but why is it well, taking this long? It's so obvious. Well, but let's let's think of it this way, though. And, and like myself, I love the fact of what you're talking about. I like to carry a fly line. I enjoy some of the older rods where they're buried deep and you can kind of get a little bit of a flex. It's not like, a, you know, it's not like an old glass rod, but you can, you can carry a long line. As we've progressed through the years, Almost what you do with a fly there by counterbalancing and adding the weight to it so that the flies balance properly is what they've done now with fly lines and faster rods. They've taken and they've put 25 foot and 30 and 35 foot heads with all the weight at the front so that we're now able to take faster rods and carry heavy bulky flies roll long distances, 80, 100 plus feet. Do you feel that it hasn't gotten to that point that it's at right now and it's not getting to because maybe the fly lines over the last five, eight years with uh you know, longer heads have taken place of the of the weight balancing of the flies. Oh, uh, boy, no, uh, nah, no, nah, I don't think so. Uh, personally, I don't, I don't like a lot of fly lines at all. I don't, I like, uh, I like uh, a fly line. But then you were you were fishing with a weight for older fly lines. I'm not saying that. Yeah, do they help a lot of people cast them better? Yeah, um, uh, I I think it's the weight balancing is significant in the casting of the fly. And then if you really weight balance your fly, even with those lines, you're going to cast those flies even better and even easier and with less effort. Do you think, though, a weight balanced fly with a 30-foot head is going to cast the same as a weight balanced fly with a weight forward floating line? Um... I've cast a lot of the flies over my time with the integrated sinking lines, and with shooting heads anyway. And most of the time that I fished them in saltwater, I did fish them uh, with shooting heads or with the integrated line. A lot of the time it was because I wanted the fly to get down, you know, I wanted it to get down a little deeper, faster. But I could do it with the wafer floating line. Uh, no problem. Now what turned, uh, turned it into, it's all fly fishing now, right, for the, for the stripers? Please say that again. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Gotcha. What What was the turning point to make you you switched over to all fly? Do you do any more the the big plug in stuff? Because that at heart to me that that's something you just don't lose. But the big fish eat big flies uh, and big like, plugs. Why did I switch over from plugging? 
No, no, sir. I'm asking, do you do any more spin fishing, or is it all fly fishing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure I do. Um, no, I do. Uh, it's kind of funny. Um, what happened was I went over to just, boy, soon after I started fly fishing, that's all I did for 15 years in salt water. Literally, I only fly fished. And then after 15 years, I started picking up the spinning rod now and again. I said, wow, this is fun. The spinning rod then, after that while, became novel. You know, it was the novel way to fish. I was so used to fishing with the fly rod all the time. Wow, this is nice, just for a change. Yeah, something so different. So I started spinning and bait casting more. I use a bait casting outfit a lot. Lately, I've, uh, I've been at Montauk and I've been bucktailing. I've been learning the bucktail from a bucktail master, a person who's caught big striped bass and lots of them for 30 years. I wanted to learn the deep rips at Montauk and to catch those big stripers with artificial lures. So I found a mentor, a marvelous fisherman. So over the last year, I've done a lot of bucktail jig fishing with um, uh, soft plastic curly tails, you know, as a trailer. So I've been doing that a lot, and I've been doing some plug a lot. And now that I've learned the rips there, the deep rips, I'm putting stuff together now so that I can get some big, hopefully a, a real monster striper on a fly. <laughs> Uh, you know, just after I've worked some things out and doing some things with lines, and uh, I've learned some stuff from Captain Scott Hamilton fishing with him down in West Palm Beach. He fishes flies 100 feet down, 110 feet down, 98 feet. Captain Pete Duma out of New, uh, from New Jersey, he works, or he's used to work at the Streams of Dreams fly shop. He's a captain out of Montauk. Also, he has some techniques where he uses a great long uh, shooting head or long running line to get its flies on the bottom uh, at night. So picking stuff up so I can take a really big fish on the fly deep. So, hey, Mark. Can that we, yeah. Can we, That's awesome, dude. But you'd never lose it. You still <laughs> throw the big plugs and stuff. That's a kid at heart right there. Can we transition a little into the to the trout world? Um I was Absolutely. Okay, I was talking to our, our mutual friend, Russ Madden, the other day, and he said the six-and-a-half-inch olive-over-white feather slammer was the yeah. fly. He said that is, hands down, bar none, the fly that changed trout fishing in Michigan. Yeah. Um, but he also told me that the, uh, the hook, that you need to, to tie it on to make that fly swim the way that it swims, the six aught yeah. oct octopus hook, yeah, is more of a bass hook than than the trout style. What what have you done to adapt that that feather slammer into a, a productive trout fly? Okay, um, when I bought that thing, you know, I bought it out of Russ's boat. We started really uh, moving some really big browns on that trick. The, uh, I missed a couple. I missed one, maybe 10 pounds, one, eight pounds, you know, with you know, on two successive days, I said, oh, my God, if I had a trailer hook on there, I would have kept both those fish, I think. So I put a trailer hook on it, you know, 
And yeah, that helped. And then Alex started using that uh, that uh, worm hook that he likes, that Gamagatsu worm hook. So I tied some slammers with that worm hook for the front so I could cook the trout a little better. They worked. Now, talk to Russ, this is years later, about the, you know, fly off the feather slammer that I've worked out now that I want to use. And I put uh, one of those uh, oh, uh, gabagatsu hooks that uh, Mike Schultz used a lot to what is the stinger hook, right? Yeah, that, what the B10 thin wire, thin wire stinger hook. I, I put it behind a shank, so I tie the slammer on the shank, and I tie the uh, the keel on the shank, and then I have the hook coming out the back, so that that hook point is about at the halfway point of the fly. Might be a little forward that. I don't think it's a little behind that because most of the time most trout grab that fly, they grab it right in the middle and they bite it. So I'm thinking that I, I know I can, you know, hook the fish a little better with that with the hook there. You know, Russ was pretty instrumental in telling me you know, that I should do something like that so uh, with that fly. Can I ask you a little bit about that? Because Russ said you would come out for two days at a time. And then that would be it. Then you'd have to go go back home, you know. And then, right. and in those days, it's not like today. You can't take a picture of your fly and text it to your buddy and bounce ideas exactly. off, bounce ideas off someone's head. You'd have to wait six months till you could fly back out there and try it again. What <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it it's right. totally different for the people of today. What went right. into the process of? trying to adapt that into a trout fly from a striper fly like in your oh. in your off time oh oh okay okay well I mean, the first time i it's not like i hadn't used them for trout before i i used the that size feather slammer for lake trout and brown trout in kensico reservoir which was is one of the new york city watershed reservoirs you know, uh, which is fairly close to New York City and was right up the street from where I lived, very close to Long Island Sound. So, I mean, I caught my first lake trout there, and I first caught my first bunch of lake trout all out twice with a friend of mine, Kevin Callahan, who knew the water very, very well. You know, he said, oh, they'll get flies, but good, okay. And there were sawbellas in that lake, alewives, right? Bingo. That's what that thing copies really, really well, besides bunker. Oh, this should work well in there. And it did. So I caught a bunch of lake trout, and I caught some brown trout in there also, so I knew it would work for sure. You know, then I went out, this is maybe 1994, and then I went out to Montana and on the beaverhead, you know, when the, when the guys would get through for the day, they'd go out fishing. So I'd go with them because they were serious dudes. They wanted a streamer fish. You know, no indicator. Uh, nymphs, you know, wait for the hash to come on. Yeah, let's go get some fish. Yeah, that's how I want to do Yeah, that. man. We, we don't uh, know. We don't know ND talk. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, and, the, and the guy, one of the guys was uh, Kyle Giampioli, who was guiding out there, and then I'd see him on videos. He's become a tarpon guy down in Florida. I have to laugh again. I haven't seen him in years and years. But anyway, I once I went with those guys, man, they chased that slammer, bit that thing like crazy. It was like, oh, man, this is killer. I thought it would work well, you know, in a trout stream 
like that, and it did. I mean, they were all over that thing, biting it, chasing it, getting hooked, not hooking a bunch of fish, right? I didn't have a trailer hook on it, you know, and whatever. And uh, also, I knew in, in working that fly that it was always the most effective where it would have the most action. The more action it had, the better it triggered strikes. So you wanted to bring that thing in whatever speed gave it the most action. Uh, they want, They were saying, oh, just before that fly gets the bacon, rip it back as fast as you can. But I didn't get the best action in doing that. It was a fairly fast retreat, and I had that good whatever sashaying action, the way you go across different current speeds, right? Bing, that thing would turn and twist and get caught by the current. You know, you, that really, you know, they just streamer fishing. Yeah. That really gets in the with the cue and the fly. What was so cool, I noticed that once right here, the fly rolled, that cue would bring it right back into equilibrium. Just like a bay fish trying, try, trying to get back into equilibrium, and it made the fly that much more effective. Wow, look at what the keel does. The fly makes it a better trout fly. Just like that. So I used the fly in Montana with success. And I saw the way the fish went after it. And so I knew it would. But then I didn't know with, well, how's it going to work in Michigan? You know, you think something's going to work. You sort of know it's going to work. But you really don't know until you give that thing the acid test. You know, until you try it where you want to try it, under the conditions you want to try it. And, of course, when we did, I mean, you know, it was just gangbusters. So, first off, in, Michi- call- in Michigan, they were used to throwing, like, strung leeches and stuff that was, like, four and a half to five inches, right, at the time? Exactly. Yeah. That was a, tra- that was a trout streamer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And then just, like, tons of lead on the on the head of the hook, right? Is Absol- that- absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And... And another yes. another thing, thank you personally for uh, for making me reach out to some buddies of the show to to get history of this stuff to be informed when we talk to you. I got to talk to Tommy and Russ Madden both this week. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome, good. So, yeah, two guys who uh, who I really love, and they're both great fishermen, good people. Well. Yeah, they they both are. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one and question. they become historic, you know. When I first met them, they were guide and uh, obsessed with fishing, you know, especially obsessed with trout fishing. I think they still and both they, are, and they were, both of those. Yes, I think so, too. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, they were wonderful. My, my experiences with them have been uh, fabulous, you know what I mean? Like life-treasuring experiences. So over over the years of fishing the Slammer, I guess... What's recommended? Sorry? Over the years of fishing with the slammer, what's the recommended retrieve for species? Is it a double hand for stripers? Is it okay? How how interesting? You know, I just wanted to get that thing whenever I could. I will change my retrieve depending on the conditions. You know, to get uh, max. I'll call it max action out of a fly. It is a really good, it's a really good question. So most of the time, you know, uh, it would, um, I noticed that I didn't get good action when I, when I used rod tip pups, right? Like you fish Russ Madden fly, you fish his Kraken and the circus peanut best with skipping and a real jerk of that rod tip. 
Like the jerk strip, like Kelly says. Didn't work with the feather fly. Okay. No, feather fly had to be stripped. No rod tip movement. Stripped with the one hand retrieved or with the two hand, too. All dependent on speed of the boat, speed of the current, uh, type of water that you're fishing. I wouldn't think about it. I, I would simply, if I need one hand strip work, beautiful. If it didn't work, I'll put that rod button. Uh, under in my armpit there, and I would use two hands. Now, also to make that fly jump ahead, uh, what I would use was a technique I learned from Paul Dixon, who's a uh, very well-known guy out at Montauk. But I knew him when he came from California and he worked at the Orvis store in New York, and I brought him on my boat. And he would jump a popper by pulling his hands apart. Right, stripping the fly line, pulling the hands apart with the fly line in both hands, pull them apart, and that popper would jump ahead so much faster than when you used one hand, a one-handed strip. So sometimes I would do that with the fly, with the slammer, if I had to do it. If I had to do it. And with that fly would jump and kick, jump and kick, jump and kick. So I would use that technique sometimes too. It all depends on the conditions. I couldn't tell you, well, I do this all the time and I do that all the time. No, but it's the one-hand strip and it's the two-hand strip. And I do different things so that I can get the action of the fly um, that I want. And the thing I wanted to go back to saying something about bringing those flies to Michigan and then to Arkansas is that, yeah, before that, generally speaking, the top end of the trout stream and what everybody was using were those uh, articulated leeches, you know, marabou or rabbit, whatever, standard. And these flies were different in that they looked like fish. Three-dimensionally, they looked like fish and they acted like fish. So it's like, well, all of a sudden, wow, these, these big flies that look like fish, that move like fish, you know, they have this strike-triggering action in there. It was something that the fish hadn't seen before. It's nothing, no novel concept, for God's sake. At the time, it was the best lure you could use for trout if you were a spin fisherman, for the most part. It would be a slim minnow plug, what they call stick baits. Yeah, like a rapala or a rebel. Right, a rapala. They were lures that looked like fish, and they acted like fish. So why would a fly that followed the same concept work? Why wasn't that being done? You know, very few people were tying flies. Dave Whitlock was one. Dave Whitlock was tying flies that looked like bait fish, and and I assume acted like bait fish, too. It's not like I tied or I used a lot of them or whatever, but I was so surprised that it was just, uh, just, they didn't think about their fishing like that more frequently, you know, that it wasn't as common to think like that back then. And, I thought it was just logical. And you do something different with the slammers that I, I was, I've noticed than a, than a normal deceiver. You do a top tie, and then you go to the front of that and do a bottom tie, and then you go forward and do another top tie. Yeah. Does, does that change the action from a normal deceiver, or is that for the profile of the fish? I have I did it. I did it for the profile. I did it to try to be as close, like I said, I did it to try to be as close as I could to a clip deer hair head because I couldn't, you know, I just uh, didn't know how to spin deer hair. Um, so 
do I think it makes for a different action fly? I don't. I don't know, you know. Russ is the most interesting guy because he'd look at my fly and he'd analyze and he'd start telling me why this does this, why this does this, or that it does this, that it does this, that this makes a difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't think about about doing this when I originally tied the fly, you know. I did this for another reason and this for another reason. Things just came out that way. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, we I all had a crick like does. Russ. Not, maybe it does. Maybe it actually does. You know, I didn't realize the keel would would have such a uh, uh, great effect on the fly uh, that it actually does. I didn't know this. I put it in there again just so the fly wouldn't roll. I didn't realize it would have these other qualities. You know? Can I ask you? Got an- lucky. Can I ask mistake. You, can I ask you another question about the keel? Yeah. Instead of tying the strips of um, lead wire in, have you ever tried yes. tying lead dumbo eyes back? Ab- uh, yeah, I have. Sure, I recommend that when I do tying demonstrations. I recommend that you know you could you could do some weighted eyes. You can put them there, and that if you want to, and it's very easy to do. You know, and you can weight balance your flies that way also. And know that even if you put them up front. Uh, or right behind the eye of the hook, but you put them on the opposite side that you would a clouser so that they help the uh, bend of the hook and the and the barb and that part of them and that part of the hook. You know, if you have it underneath so that it helps that part of the hook heel, um, it'll it'll work. Yeah. But but, but the, fun, per- the funny thing is the way I tie the slammer, uh, one step leads to the next one. When I tie it, I can fit certain feathers in there right behind the keel. And I can, you know what I mean? I can have more space on that keel to be able to put the amount of bucktail easily that I want on on that clump or uh, even the following clump, et cetera. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And I... It, it, it also gives me a base on the side to ultimately put some bucktail on the side so that it not only fills in some uh, some parts of the fly, you know, where you could see that I tied materials in so it looks like a nicer fly, like the fish care. But what it does also is I have just the right amount of bucktail on each side of the fly so that I have the really good three-dimensional shape. Yeah, and you do something... It wasn't planned, but it all fits together. But that doesn't mean that you can't do what you said that to do and that you can do. And you do something different than I do. When uh, when I tie a fly that I try to to weight balance kind of like you do, Yeah, I do it with a bare hook. You know, that way I start with a, a fresh canvas and then I wrap the lead on and I, I weight balance it there. Whereas you tie your hook on, or your, your stinger hook on, and then you tie the back feathers on. Yeah. And then you start weight balancing it. So it's not a right. fresh canvas, which is... That's right. It's just the way two different people think, you know. I I love it. I had to I, I had to do that simply because I I was thinking about the profile of my fly and I wanted a true Menhaden profile. Uh, I would be a true alewife profile also, and I realized that if I tied that feather after I wrapped the shank of the hook, if I tied it on the uh, the wrap at that point, 
that I wouldn't get a true shape. That feather would stick out and stick down, and there would be a space between the back feather and that feather, and the feather in front of it. So what I did was I tied that smaller feather in first, and I didn't have that gap. So so I would have the correct profile. Yeah, problem solving. Yeah, yeah. So that so that worked for me. So I started doing that. If you get your hey, bottom line, if your fly catches fish. There you go. God bless you. That's what you want. Mine, mine normally don't. Don't worry. Amen. I oh. <laughs> do all the time, you know. <laughs> Some people might think they do, but, you know. Personally, I think the ugliest flies catch the biggest trout. As long as it's got a big profile, it could be uglier than hell. It'll catch trout. Put it down there and make uh-huh. it, make it, put it in the right place at the right time probably going to be better off that way than you know even anything else in itself that hey that leads me to something else mark that you had brought up earlier that you would be the perfect person to ask this about you um jace asked you about your presentation for the flies yeah um how much different is it sitting in a drift boat moving down a moving river fishing a fly to a trout on a bank compared to being out in a boat on Montauk, drifting with the current, and your fly is moving with the current as well. How how much different is that, and how much different do you have to think about it, or is that relatively? How, how, how wonderful, you know. It's here, here's it. In all the fishing I've done, you know, I thought that starting out, well, when I do this, when I do that, when I go over here, when I get some experience, I'm going to find that everything is so different. Instead, what I found out is uh, fish have more in common than they do it, that is different. And, and fishing for certain species of fish, well, actually, you're doing so much more the same or similar than you are doing things differently. That saltwater fish act a lot like freshwater fish. That freshwater fish act a lot like saltwater fish. It depends on, you know, what conditions, what they have to face. Uh, I found that striped bass acted very much like trout in moving water, and vice versa. Trout acted like striped bass. And you have, you're fishing moving water. Okay, you got tides. Sometimes your tides really move to where when you're fishing striped bass, it's like you're fishing river. Yeah, that water is moving like that. So the fish act the same way in the moving water, you know? So you could fish stripers exactly the way you fish trout. That's... And, if, and if you want to fish deeper for stripers, you fish the same way you fish for trout probably, you know? You wouldn't use that Kelly Gallup 90 degrees to the bank, you know, 90 perpendicular throwing to the bank or whatever. You'll do that, but if you want to fish deep, you're going to have a hard time doing that. You know, most likely you're going to have to be more angled down. You're going to have to be behind the boat a little more, drifting that way. Probably, probably. You kind of you kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah, got to get the fly you know, time I to get down. So, uh, fishing trout was so much like fishing striped bass, and fishing striped bass was fishing so much like trout. It was, it was, uh, it was funny. You know, for lack of a, of a better word, it was just amazing that it was. And, okay. Let- any, any fishing I do helps me with any other fishing that I do. 
yeah, the, that's kind of the uh, the answer I was kind of thinking you were going to give. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. 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 It was. It was. Kind of, I didn't expect it. You know. But it was like, wow, more in common. Anything you could do, if you if you want to be a real good trout, you want to be a real good trout fisherman. Uh, well, you fish trout a lot, right? But it might help you too if you fish other species because they're going to get you thinking differently. And then you're going to start thinking a little differently with trout. You're going to discover some things, and it's going to make you an even better trout fisherman. Russ Madden thinks this way. You you know what's better than being a good trout fisherman? What's that? Being a good fisherman all around. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, you don't just yeah. don't yeah. just target one species. Be a good all around angler. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I really agree. It really opens yourself uh you open yourself up to uh to some things that you wouldn't open yourself up to if you were uh you know, just uh if you're a little more narrow. Mm-hmm. So I agree. I- I was talking to your buddy Ray earlier today, and he was telling me when you guys were going to casting clinics and um, different shows all around, people would walk yep. up. People would walk up to you, and you know you would talk to them for five, ten, fifteen minutes, and by the time that they walked away, they said they would go home and they gained fifteen, twenty feet on their cast. What is something that you would tell someone at one of these casting cl- clinics that? would just be the most beneficial information to get an extra 5, 10, 15 feet on your cast. Wow, pretty pretty interesting. Now, is that Ray, is Ray saying when they were casting? No. Or just when I was talking just when you to were them talking they didn't to have them. a rod in their hands? Yeah, nobody had rods. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's what he okay. told me. Nobody, nobody, is that what he said? He said, I would just tell them stuff, and they would go home and cast 20 feet further? Yeah, the- Ray wow, had high praise Ray for never, you, man. Ray never said <laughs> told me that. He can't give you uh, too big a head. Come on, right? <laughs> you know, ha, 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 ha. That's, <laughs> God, that's really funny. The um, um, boy, all I could tell you is, is almost everybody could load the rod better. Almost everybody, you know, and it's a timing thing. It's optimal speed of acceleration for getting the rod to bend more. You know, most everybody uh, could you could. You would help with that. Hello and, for you, huh? And that, and that say, oh, you know, you're really happy. I'm really sticking my neck out here, you know. I got to tell you one thing even before that, and this is the most interesting thing. Everyone to a person who has told me what their casting problem was, when I saw them cast, when they came for a lesson or a clinic or something, that wasn't their problem. Literally, a hundred percent. What was uh, what was the most common problem you would see in a caster? Just uh, waiting too long, um, letting them drop their line, things like that. Them thinking they knew it, what they what they were doing. No, they they would just tell me that the problem is this, the problem is that, whatever. Uh, it's double hauling uh, and and whatever. And usually, allocation of power. They have they have to they have to load and get that raw tip at least before it comes over before they unload it, moving in a straight line to where they want the fly to go in the air. And then when they unload the rod, they've got to keep the fly 
and the tip going in the same direction that that from the end of the unload so that they throw stuff so that they throw everything all their energy in a straight line you have to do this on the back cast and on the forward cast is that, so, so what you're saying is don't drop the tip? Can you understand what I said? Yes. Uh, yeah. Shortest, yeah, sure. shortest, Absolutely. shortest distance okay. to long is straight. Okay. People yeah. are wasting uh, I, wasting energy in places. Don't do that. Boy, it's hard talking casting over the phone for, uh, you know. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> someone trying to learn. I mean, you know, it's hard enough when you're standing there with them. But uh, to do it over the phone, it's just awkward. Okay, well, but I'll, we'll do, I'll do my best. No, we'll we'll move away from this a little bit then. Um, Ray also told me that you were in the process of uh, trying to develop some some new rods, the the short sticks. For fishing. yeah, through there. So uh, you know, um, I was a casting columnist for Saltwater Fly Fishing Magazine that started in 1995. There, you know. They don't exist anymore. They were around for about 10 years. Um, so the most one of the most wonderful things about that is I got access to everybody in the fly fishing industry, all the rod makers, you know, the guys who made the rods, literally made the rods and designed the rods, you know, they would take my calls. So I spoke with everybody. And I've also taught a a fishing class, and it's been a fly fishing class. Most of the time, it's been a saltwater fly fishing class at Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, continuing an adult ed, which is, takes place at night at Greenwich High School in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I've had lots of people take my class. For it. I started it in 1984. I still teach it. You know, I haven't been able to teach it the last year and a half because of COVID. But, uh, you know, every year, between that, I don't know, 38 years or whatever, I've had a lot of really wonderful students and some people who became very, very good anglers, uh, etc. So there was this guy in 1988 who took my class. His name was Jay Bobowitz. became a friend of mine, a guy who I fished a lot with. So Jay had a really good mind. He was a researcher for uh, television. But he had a real good mind for ideas. He was thinking, he's, he's the one that told me, he goes, you know, there's going to be a big rise in saltwater fly fishing. He says, it's going to be a big rise, and it's going to be a real popular in the upcoming years. This was 1988 that he told me this. He says, you know, the industry has made the tackle. They're going to have to sell. Well, of course, you know, it, this rode the wave of the comeback of the striped bass uh, when they had crashed in the 70s. And then... Big fans, why you had this big explosion in saltwater fly fishing and why it's continued was simply because of the uh, the comeback of the numbers of striped bass on the northeast coast. It's also why the fly fishing show took hold and, it, and exists today because it were not for the comeback of the striped bass, the show would have folded after the first two years. So that's another story. And um, so Jay Bobowitz was a thinker. So it says, you know, we don't need long rods. These long rods, they're designed for weeding and for trout fishing and for salmon fishing. But we're fishing in boats. Again, I told you about, you know, that's what you virtually have to do if you fish in Westchester or Fairfield County or Greenwich. And uh, 
we don't need as long a rod, you know? Ours can be shorter, and if they're shorter, you're going to have advantages. He said you're going to be able to fight the fish faster and easier because you have a shorter lever. You can be able to store the rod in the boat a lot easier. You know, you won't have as many damaged tips. You can land the fish faster in the boat. You land the fish in current easier with a shorter rod and blah, 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 blah. He was absolutely right. He would try getting some rods, you know, spinning rods, and he'd take the guides off, and he'd try to make six-and-a-half-foot rods. They didn't come together so well. So when I became casting columnist, I just started asking around about short rods. I wanted some really good short rods. Short rods, to me, would be six-and-a-half, seven, seven-and-a-half feet, no longer. And I was looking around to see who had Rods like this, anyway, who made them? Now, for heavier weight rods, hardly anybody did. For lighter weight rods at the time, yeah, lots of lighter weight rods were shorter. And for going back decades before that, very short trout rods, five feet, five and a half, six and a half feet, seven feet, were very common for dry fly and nymph fishing, like with Arnold Gingrich and when Schwebert started out and, you know, those, those famous great birdmen, uh, those guys going way back. You know, they used very short rods. Ed Shank was famous for uh, his short rod, you know, the, the, whatever he called, you know, fishing the, his limestone creeks with that. But the only one I can remember that had, like, Nine weight, or I think a nine weight that was seven and a half feet long, or might have been eight feet long, with Jim Murphy, who started Reddington Rods down in northern Florida. And the damn thing, anytime I could find anyone who had a short rod, which usually wasn't seven and a half feet, and I'm talking about, you know, like a nine weight, a ten weight, an eight weight, it would be really slow action and flexible. It's like, I don't want that. I hate slow-action rods. I want fast-action, short rod. And most makers sort of didn't understand or didn't want to do it or whatever, but the guy, and the guy who I found who was who was responsive was Kenny Carmen. And he and his dad owned Biscayne Rods, the famous Biscayne Rod Company down in Miami. They had done a lot of custom rods for a lot of people for a lot of, you know, actually for revolution to fishing and sport fishing down in South Florida. They were integral uh, in a lot of in designing and selling rods to, to anglers down there. And he was the one who was responsive. Yeah, man. So this is what I want. I want it for my Northeast fishing. You know, when that's a boat rod, blah, blah, blah. He listened. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah excellent. Uh, he had the most knowledge of fly rods, I thought, of anyone in the entire industry. You know, you have famous fly rod makers and whatever, and, and they know a lot. But, boy, nobody knew what Kenny Carbon knew. I, I was blown away. He said, well, my, my grandfather in the early 60s used a six-foot rod for sailfish down here off the coast here of South Florida. So, you know, I have an idea what you want, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, fast action or, or extra fast. But fast action, I don't like extra fast. Yeah, okay. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, yeah, let me, uh, let me work on that. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll make that for you. I'll make that for you. 
and I don't know if it's two weeks later, a month later, uh, I hear these two long packages arrive at my door. You know, hmm, okay, I open them up. It's like they're real stiff. All right. And I call them up, say, Ken, what line weight do I use them with? He says, well, Mark, I told you I was going to make them for a 15-pound tippet, so you could put max pressure on a 15-pound tippet. I don't know. You find out. <laughs> oh, all right. So I had to go out, try different fly lines on the rod, and see which ones lined up. Because the rod was designed for max pre- use, putting max pressure on a 15-pound tippet. You know, like maybe you would for talk to ask me, you know, what kind of tippets you like to use, whatever. Good good questions, right? Who, who asked that? Uh, yeah, I use 15-pound most of the time, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so he sent me a 7-foot rod. And that one lined up with a 10-way. It lined up with that 10-way extra distance. The scientific anglers, you know, have that long, long taper, that long belly, that line. It was called, you know, the expert distance and then the whatever distance taper. They only make it to a 9-way now. They made it to a 10. That worked really nice on that line. As well as a TD 400, like 400 degrees. And then the other rod was 7.5 feet with stiff. Man, it was so stiff, but it casted good. And that casted a 12-weight line very well, and I used a uh, Cortland Intermediate. Uh, it's like a flesh-colored line, a light flesh-colored line. That that worked well on that rod. And I could use both rods with giant flies if I wanted, any size fly. It didn't matter. So I used those rods for, uh, for two years for all by northeast saltwater fly fishing in the mid-'90s. And, uh, yeah, you fought the fish faster with them, easier, because they were a shorter level. They did cast better for me, way better, because they were fast action. That was the way to go. I thought that would be the way to go. Yeah, man, that was the way to go, uh, for sure. Um, you what? lay on the thing. Yes, go ahead. Does it make it easier to bring it to someone in the back of the boat with a net, with not a nine-foot rod dangling out and being loopy? That's, with the short rod, yeah, that's something uh, I would it think easier about. Easier to, to pull the fish to the back of the boat, someone in the net. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. In salt water, just in a drift boat, anchor your drift boat in heavy current and try to bring a fish up to you or back to you as well and land it. You yeah, know you, what I mean? To you, try to land it. You lose them. <laughs> and you're, you're grabbing the mid portion of the rod and you're praying, please, I don't want a high stick the thing here. Then you're grabbing at the fly line. You miss, you miss, you miss. And you know what I'm talking about. The fish is moving around. Yeah, absolutely. So it's <laughs> easier with a shorter rod. Uh, uh, well, I want to uh, say something. Do you guys know about Andy Mill and the way he fights fish and uses a scale to fight the fish to yes. put a certain amount of pressure on them? You know about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, real cool. So dig this. Kenny Carbon said, I want you, now that you you have the right line for him or whatever, I want you to go out and break tippets. I want you to go out and break tippets. That's what he said. Okay, Ken, I'll go out and break tippets. I can do that. So. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you got, yeah, with dry flies, you bet you could do it. Or, you know, with, with, with the small nymph. But, okay, don't break tippets. 
I call me back. Hmm, that's a strange request. So I go out there. I start, you know, putting pressure with the bed of the rod on both rods. What I found out was that with that 15-pound tippet, and I had, I had, uh, I used that 100% loop knot to, to loop it to my fly line. And when you tie that 100% let the create loop knot correctly, it's a 100% knot because you break along that single strand. You don't break that knot. Wanted to add that. So anyway, uh, I found out that I get to a certain point and the rod bottoms out. It loses its flexibility. You know what I mean? There's a certain flexibility that all of a sudden it bottoms out of the bed and you lose that. You can feel it. I, I call it bottoming it out. I mean, you just don't have that. You know, I'll call it a flexibility. It's very, very, very uh, noticeable with fiberglass, but, but very noticeable. These were fiberglass rods. These were graphite rods. And I told them, I don't want graphite 3, which had been popular at the time because the damn thing breaks too much. And I want graphite 2. He goes, yeah, a lot of people demand that. I, I agree because it's much harder to break. Good. Okay, so I got that thing in the bottom out the first time. And then... You can pull further after that, and the rod springs and bends a little more. And then it'll bottom out the second time. Soon after it bottoms out the first time, right? And right after you pull more after it bottoms out the second time, the tippet breaks. Right after you start pulling. So I recognize I said, oh, Ken, I know what you did here. I could do it with both rods. I know. I said, Ken. You you fight a fish when you want to pull on him. You pull on him until the rod bends at uh, the rod, right? It bottoms out the first time, and that's where you keep it. You don't go bend. You don't go putting any more pressure on the fish than that. And you're putting an incredible amount of pressure uh, pressure on the fish when you do that. If you go beyond that, it's going to break after soon after the second bottom. But you got that cushion in there. Right, Andy Moore likes that cushion too, from like twelve pounds of pressure mm-hmm. to sixteen, or it's actually seventeen point six, I think is what the actual breaking strength is here. He always even if he pulls fourteen, he wants a little bit of cushion. You always yeah. want a little bit of cushion, but you want to be able to really pull. So instead of using a scale, what Kenny Carmen did or found out or who knows how he knew this or whatever, you could like design a rod or have a rod so that once it bottoms out that first time, you got almost max pressure on the fish, and you're not going to break them off. Hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. That, yeah, that that's definitely an engineering. Yeah. Um, so your question about the short rods was, <laughs> so um, after I used those rods for those two years, I didn't use them much after that. I got on the Scott Fly Rod Pro Staff, and I started, and uh, I just started using their rods and even other people's rods. I mean, being cast in colleges, I got rods from everybody. I mean, everybody. So I could use what I wanted. And those short rods casted pretty well, but they weren't really, really great casting rods, which I wanted. And how could you get a great casting rod that was short if nobody made them or nobody wanted to make them? Nobody wanted to do any R&D. I'm making a short rod that was a really, really great casting rod, let alone a great fishing rod. 
So I left it behind in in the mid nineties, and then Ian comes up to me at the show and says, "Hey, ladies, Mick Rod, Steve Ray, Jeff, and yeah, I told him about you that I like you involved in that, whatever." So it's like, "Oh, really? Okay." And uh, so, uh, really, I, I'm the one who wanted to dance a short ride and say, "We want to make a boat ride. Let's make a boat ride." Uh, I want to make a short. We, our first prototypes were nine feet, then eight and a half feet. I said, no, 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 Steve. I don't want that. I want it short. I want it seven feet. You know, I want it. You know, it turned out we used seven and a half because seven and a half seemed to cast better generally than uh, the seven, hook, seven footer. But really, to, to make a seven foot rod there, a short rod, uh, you know, I wanted to do that. And he, he went along. You know, he, he understood. He wanted to do that too. Uh, fast action dance again. I was not going to do anything but fast action rock. That was short. And, uh, you know, Ian was all for that too. You know, he wanted a stiffer tip on the rod than I did. And so finally, we got some input on making a, uh, a short rod. And that's how the short sticks came about. Um, I wanted those short sticks to go two generations more. I was not happy whatsoever with what we had when when Steve just didn't want to work on it anymore. If that's the right way to say it, you yeah. know what I mean? He just wanted to put them out. I wanted two more generations because I wanted the paper that I really wanted. If we'd gotten that paper that I wanted on that rod, you know, and he would have loved it too. He knows it. Uh, <laughs> man, that would have, that would have been some rod. You know, uh, I wasn't I wasn't that happy with the short sticks, and you know, I mean, he went out and promoted it. You know, yeah, in in and I said that's you know that's okay. I, I I you know I really wanted them to be the way I wanted them. You're just and, this uh, far away, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, I said you were just this far away. I had my fingers an inch and a half apart. This far you know, away, maybe. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was. You know, and, and, and different tapers can, can, you know, and they can be real close or whatever and make a big difference. So in a sense, that's how that came about with short sticks and G. Lewis short sticks. And um, then, you know, we had, we did start a rod company and that's been going in and out. And I've wanted to, you know, I've had prototypes and whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm a perfectionist. And uh, so far with what we've had, I haven't really been, that thing, they've been okay, but I haven't been that happy. I want to be to the point where I'm so excited, I want to run up and put it in everybody's hands. Yeah, I know, know what you mean, man. And, and I, you know, it's just going to have to be a little more R&D. We've had trouble with uh, rod makers that we've had and, and pers- prospective rod makers. and Things haven't gotten any better uh, in the last you know, year with COVID and all, we can't get together with people. A lot of the rod makers are older guys. Are you trying to get them locally made? Seeing how they're older. Yes. Okay. No, that, that's or, cool. Or, or, and, and in other places in the country too. Yeah. You know, talking to people countrywide and maybe internationally, you know, which you can do so much easier nowadays. Yes. Yeah. yeah. International yeah. is yeah. very, or not very easy, but it's, a lot easier than you'd think, but countrywide right. is is uh, definitely commendable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, hey, Mark, we've had you on the line for an hour and a half. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think we should uh, should be hitting on? Oh, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, they're probably, if I'm trying to think of, uh, you know. And you know what? uh, Hey, don't be afraid. We can definitely have a a 2.0, a Mark Zadotti 2.0. You know, we can do another hour and a half. Anytime you would oh, like, yeah. to, you know what oh, I mean. I'd love to. I'd love to do that. I'd love to go into uh, because you know, my, this has been fun. Uh, but envir- I... environmentalist views, my views of uh, you know where I, what I think fly fishermen should do and where they should go, which uh, you know which direction they should go and how they should do it environmentally, and be uh, you know environmental advocates, which they really aren't. And uh, I could. Well, I could do a whole thing about casting, really. Yeah, let, let's do that. Let's let's uh, plan that off air. Let's let's try to do a a Mark Sadati two point Okay. For uh, be great. the recap. Yeah, and then um, uh, we'll plan that. And um, where can everyone go? And where where would you prefer everyone go to check out your flies? Um, who are some people that you think people should be checking out? Um, like Gunner. You know, Gunner's promoting the crap out of the stuff that you have pioneered. He- Yes, absolutely. Yeah, go to Gunner and uh, River Sage Journal, you know, Ray Miller's thing. You you spoke with Ray. Uh, there'll be a lot of my stuff. There my, my casting videos are on River Sage Journal. They're on YouTube also. Um, some articles are on uh, are on River Sage Journal. Uh, that would be good. You know, Ian promotes me too. Very nice. Thank you, Ian. All righty, man. Do you, guys have, do you guys have any questions? Any other questions? Uh, I'll you, bet you do. A million. <laughs> we have a, I'll try to answer them quickly, even. <laughs> we we have a million, but I don't know if we can, uh, if we can get into them quickly. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? I know. I know. I'm elaborating. No, and, and elaboration's great because uh, this is an audio show. But you know, right. just uh, we're trying to break it down into um, feed or uh, consumable, obtainable, por- yeah, consumable portions for the listeners. That way, like right. an hour and a half is perfect, and uh, I think this hour and a half has been absolutely perfect. It's blown my mind. Like I'm sure it's gonna blow the listeners' mind. And then if we get you back on, we'll have another hour and a half of awesome talk. Wonderful. Yeah, I'd love to do that, and, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll get in touch with you and, uh, you know, give you some stuff. Head Automatica. You ever listen to them, Mark? Mm-hmm. Head Automatica? I think he's saying we're on the air. Oh, shit. Yeah, we're recording, guys. <laughs> hey, by the way, Rick, congratulations on your first muskie, buddy. Hey, Good job. Yeah, let's get yeah. right back into it. Yeah, that's awesome, that man. That is awesome. That dude's put some work in. He He's put the time it. and effort in. Good job, man. Congrats. To many hey, more. This Jason, is... get the fuck away from there. Yeah, I don't think you're a dick thing. I'm just Shit. kidding. I walked out. I was like, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. Chad, meet me now. Ran out and grab that. Chad didn't meet me yet. Thanks, Chad. Oh, I'm surprised Thanks, Chad didn't meet me. Oh, no, we want to say I was it. expecting we went in the mute. We're, we're still going to stop that. It's kind of nice that it's not like nine o'clock right now. I know it's like really cool. I'm ready to drink Enjoy beers it. until halftime. This is cool. I like it. What I think is it like four o'clock. Oh, dude, we're gonna drink beers till it starts. It doesn't start till six thirty. It's four thirty right now, and I think we're gonna drink like beers it, till halftime. 
or liquor or anything until halftime. And then if we stop at halftime, we'll be totally sober and not hungover. Are you going to drink NA after yeah. that? For work tomorrow. So we can have gentlemen's breaks the rest of the night. Yeah, the, I won't have jump. I'll watch you're, 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 This is your uh, your uh, hey, husband's you, drunken logic. You you get out of here. You so, get out of here. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not supposed <laughs> to listen to this stuff. We're supposed to say this no. stuff in complete confidence. Or ca- ca- well, not confident. Uh, this is in the privacy of the uh, dude room. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, <laughs> this is the no judging zone right here. Okay, and you're in it, Ashley. This is the He-Man Woman Haters Club, my baby. Uh, hey. So drunken January turned into fucked up February for me. <laughs> like, dude, I have been awful. It has been terrible. I, Chad isn't drinking. I saw I drank for both of us in January. Now this is pushing into February, and it's getting bad. I think I'm gonna take the rest of the month off. Yeah, after, when you, after tonight, when Jason shows, listen, when <laughs> Jay, <laughs> yeah, this is great. When Jason shows up at my house or calls at like nine o'clock, and I'm just sitting on the couch, you know, relaxing for the day because I get up early. Put your kids into the bathtub is what you were doing. I do work, man. I always do that shit. But uh, so Jason's like, I'm gonna be at your house in two minutes, and that means he's drunk. <laughs> well, I was but, in the air. No, I had to take the kid home from work. <laughs> so anyway, his his I car broke. No, from my point of view, you shut the fuck up. The kid from work. The kid from work. His car broke down, so he lives by Jace. I asked Jace to take him home, so I had to take him home the next day myself. Well, his dad's really cool. Sat in the garage, had a couple beers, you know, hung out. Old guy style. That was, after, that was after he got off work, had a couple beers, then took so, the kid home, had so a couple had more beers at somebody else's house. Work. Work. <laughs> no, oh, listen, come six on. beers there. So he wakes up at whatever time in the morning, and it, it's nine now, and he hasn't been home or ate dinner, he says. So he's stopping by, and, and we're just, I'm like, yeah, I'll start my snowmobile up. I figured he'd just ride on the, the trails I have. Instead, you he, white bass? No, no. Instead, he just swings a loop, and it, I, I think he, a delicious one. No, listen to this. Listen, this is great. Listen, listen to this. Listen, this is my, awesome. The sled wasn't warmed up yet, so it was getting like intermittent gas a little bit. So Jason, it finally kicks in. I think it got away from him for a moment, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And he turns like in my neighbor's yard, which he didn't fuck nothing up. He goes he's near their house. I'm like, "Oh, he's grabbing my head." Like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> so, so oh, then. Wow! Yeah, then he goes across the street and opens it all the way up, and he's like, yeah, that that's fast. And I'm like, give me the fucking wheel you're riding through people's yards, you fucking asshole. So, or why you started your sled while yeah, I got there. Anyway, so the next day. I was the, there to hang out. The next day, uh, I get home from the grocery store. I'm taking the groceries in, and I see the cops pull Did up at the down, neighbor's. neighbor. Listen, cops cops pulled up at the neighbor's house, and I'm like, ah. Uh, so I text my neighbor, like, check it out. Cops are at the neighbor's. Oh, ah. Oh, there it I'm was. Like, <laughs> I'm like, check it out. Cops are at the neighbor's, and I'm like, ah, they're fucking probably. The they're probably at the neighbor's because of me. Because of you. And, uh, and then and then here <laughs> here they come in my backyard, like, with a flashlight. Like, they're around, following the trails. Around their, the, the like, lady's house, and I'm like, fuck. Well, that's that, so... Might as well go out here and smoke a cigarette. I get a text message. Up the cops are at my neighbor's house. And I'm like, oh, man, that sucks. Uh, and it's for you. <laughs> it's like, dude, I, the, now the cops are at my house, dude. And I'm so, like, oh, that sucks. Well, see, well, so, hey, it's better now than 10 years ago. Yeah, so, no, sorry for your headache. I don't have no no issues with nobody. But so the cop comes up. I'm like, yeah, my neighbor did it. I know it's, it's definitely my fault. It was an accident, no doubt. And uh, is what it is. Fucking... I'm fine, you know. I mean, no bothers this way, bud. I I I can't say FTP, but I can't say fuck the police. Not not in that sense or manner. Because if you're gonna help me, cool. If not, please leave my property. 
<laughs> fucking dicks. But get over it. You got a little bit of snow on the ground. Well, we get like a, a quarter inch. I get to rip my sled for the first time. And these are new neighbors. So, hey, I already told you who the king of the block is. And that <laughs> shit ain't going to change, man. Because King of the block. Yeah. Well, I mean, I live in a tight-knit neighborhood. Everybody loves me. I've been there forever. I mean, like, you don't want that you, you, if you, it's either you're on my you're, side, it's like he's gonna end up in like Clint Eastwood, like and and uh, what's it called? Get yeah, off man. my lawn, yeah. Grant Grant Torino. <laughs> yeah, but that listen, one. Everybody loves me on the block. I, I make sure the kids are good. Everybody knows me, uh, and it's been like that all my life. So, so wait, here's a here's a good question: Was Grant Torino a comedy? Because I thought it was. <laughs> I laughed out loud quite a bit during that movie. I, loved it. I, I don't know. Well, them are good jokes. A lot of them were. <laughs> but anyway, uh, like I said, tight neighborhood. Nobody really gives a shit about the new people. You got to you gotta earn your spot here. So, yeah, yeah, you're fucking up, man. You called the cops. My neighbors are like, oh, hell no. Uh, so, not to start a war. I don't want to have bad neighbor issues. But Way to go, Jay. Yeah, this is all exactly, on you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> see, see, what, see what one buddy can do for you. You've had <laughs> not a lot of good motor vehicle Experiences this week. No, oh, no, this guy's just bad. ripping around on shit. He don't care. Oh, shut the fuck up, Chase. Hey, you got something that drives? I'll fucking go off road with it. You are doing anything but motorboating right now, Jay. <laughs> yeah, life life comes at you fast. But but here, hey, listen. The craziest Especially when shit. you're drinking for two people. <laughs> the craziest shit of it is is like. The, the people who own the property, which is a land bank because they flipped it over and not <coughs> demolished homes. So I'm up. I'm up. I'm buying these properties around me. And these people. Are you making a compound? Are you going to have your own cult? I, I'm, it's going to be fishermen's paradise. So it's like paradise. a small monopoly in major. Yes, I'm putting up shed houses. So Please tell me you're going to have you a cult. rent I, one, dude. I want to yeah, be I mean, a cult member. Well, there's always been a cult, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But the thing White is. White sneakers and a. They told me I can't grow on this property that I'm buying right next to me, like two foot over. They fucking trashed my driveway. Is this this is like a, a you know a municipal of some sort in the state of Ohio that they come around and fix properties up, supposed to flip them over, land bank, trust, whatever. It's done with money, you know, granted money. So once they get repaid for it, I'm gonna buy the lot like next to me, and all the lots are touching my yard. I'll be first picked and. You just told me I can't go on property that I'm about to buy and that nobody's ever used that I had to watch a rotting house rot on for all these years. And then the new neighbor comes in and calls and and how the story was set up and told the cops are like, well, they called the land bank. Ain't nothing but fucking dirt anyway. And it's frozen snowmobile. I wasn't tearing anything up. You know what I mean? No, but I was. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it was it's been so cold that the ground is froze. They like seeded and grass next to me. I was burning through there, but it's all froze. You know what I mean? Grounds froze. I got it tore nobody's yard up. Then and the fucked up thing is like uh, you'll be criminal trespassing if you go on these. And then so I called. Like I left a message. Nobody ever called me back. I was bitching about my driveway. You ran X amount of whatever ten ton trucks on them with fucking houses in the back. A machine drove all through my driveway, outside of my driveway, through the yard and made it a big slop hole which it'll be that till spring i'm just you know are you gonna come fix it what what's the deal with that and so they come out mind you right now everywhere it's got a like half inch of snow on it and it's just crusted ice so no my shit's not muddy right now but 
So the guy, he like takes some pictures and shit of the yard where I was riding through, like I was tearing it up. More worried about that. And then he, he sent me an email say, stating I wasn't going to be reimbursed, that the company that did the work deemed it as normal operation or whatever. And I'm like, use my fucking driveway to get in there because there's trees on the other side, which, you know I mean? I didn't sign anything, but go ahead. I just figured you wouldn't leave it in a shit mess, you know? It, that, that's what happens, man. Uh, you you get in, in cahoots with people, and they're going to take advantage of you. Uh, well, I mean, ultimately, you're here to make it look nicer, but you can't just be like, ah, oh, fuck you, dude. This is what we do. I sent them pictures. They sent me pictures of the property because that's what they're worried about. They're worried about that property. You can't see my property where they did damage. I'm like, well, here's some pictures of my driveway, bud, you know. There's the tire tracks through the yard where they had to drive off of the driveway. There's the gravel that's pressed down four inches into the mud that so, used to be there. But. So long story short, I, I fucked some shit up. Yeah, you uh, fucked gave, everything gave Jason, up, douche. Gave, gave Jason a headache. Yeah, and, uh, threatening me with criminal trespassing. I do that for a living. Don't threaten me. Nice, Jay. Well oh, hey. Yeah. Can can I get on something like river related? <laughs> Would you guys mind? Oh, yeah, the River, River of the Year. Yeah. Yes. I want to talk about uh, that. Yes. Yeah. We, we talked about that, that outside. I, I didn't know you guys t- spoke about that. Yeah. Mark but and I did. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. Shenango River, River of the Year in Pennsylvania, motherfuckers. PCBs and all. Yeah. Because no it's the most advisory. Fun. Yeah. Don't eat so, the fish. Just Well, you enjoy. know, thank, no, thank the River Watchers. Thank the River Watchers. Thank everyone for voting because it's been great. Um, I joined the River Watchers during this whole uh, campaign, and I love it. Well, every this time the I river see you down love. there, you ain't catching shit. You might as well watch it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, no, I actually, I, you know, they they watch a lot of the upper stretches of the river between Pine Tuming and the Shenango Dam, and we fish Shenango lo- Reservoir. A reservoir. We fish below the dam at the Shenango Reservoir uh, more. Well, but listen, I, I could say anything. That's I mean, a, probably a good thing because... It's the whole river, I mean, well, it we is, have, it's a nice place. We have people it's who... scenic. They're not going to let a dumping c- continue or, you know... And that's a big thing here. People, you know where we go. You show up at the parking spot and there's everybody's last week's garbage, a fucking TV or... They're not gonna let that shit in the eyes on the water, so they're kind of policing our waters for us. Yeah, big absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And the more eyes on it, the Monica, Monica, Monica King, yep, is uh the head of communications for the Shenango River Watchers. So um, if you guys want to get online, thank Monica and thank the River Watchers. It's it's great, for sure. Um, actually, five years ago today, we had Monica King and um. Another member of the Shanga River Watchers on the podcast. That was my memory on Facebook today. So yeah. five years, five years yep. ago today. I think they were the first in studio guest we ever had. Um, the the dude was like, "Don't take pictures of me drinking beers." <laughs> yeah, he was like, a, he was a teacher at Greenville. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, very good, was, good guy. He was Shalacy's teacher. He's yeah. like, "Oh, Mister, whatever your name was." Yeah, I, I I loved my class with you. Good, good guy. Very good guy. So, do we have anything else we want to hit on this evening, guys? Uh, Mark's flies. The flies that are sitting in front of me. Those are so dope. That Thunder Creek all is going to catch all, all of them the fish. All of them are pretty, pretty That's sweet, Mark. Thanks. That Thunder Creek is going to catch all the fish. They're all sweet, but that one is the the cat's ass. Not a lot of bucktail deceivers. Just trying to get back to more overall bucktail work. 
Oh, this two yeah, lots. This is the you were just saying, guys. That's the Thunder Creek. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, that's a little Thunder Creek. Yeah, that's pretty sick. cool, man. That'll be a good smallie fly for rivers, creeks, anywhere. It's a good, good little pattern. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, but trying to diversify it a little bit off the musky stuff a little bit more. Although something like this, big six aught deceiver. Dude, that's gonna Looks catch gorgeous. That will catch musky. That will catch pike. Mm-hmm. You'll catch smallmouth on that thing too. Oh uh, yeah, you'll catch the smallmouth on that <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, the one in the right time of year. You know what I mean? I'm not. I wouldn't throw that first thing in the season, but toward the mid to late part of the season. Oh man, yeah, put that bitch on there, bro. I I upsized and just kept catching big bass. Yeah. Yesterday. <laughs> I mean, it, that's the thing. When a when a bite is good, trash it, people. Trash it. That's my advice to you. That. Like, that's the time to try stuff. When you're catching yeah. fish, try yeah, take the try moment away things. from maybe catching five, you know, maybe to the one, four less you might catch, but you do learn. Marco's shit. making another point of the, about that same kind of concept mm. right before we walked in tonight. You know, trying another area while it's hot. You know, if you know you can catch that many fish up where we always fish, a lot of these new stretches we've been looking at, mm-hmm. fish them in prime time. To see if it's worth them and that the fish are there. So if we know later we weren't catching them, it's not maybe the it's area as much the as area. us not fishing it right. Yes. You know? That's and I, I think that's a great idea, Mark. And and giving up, and we're going to have to give up some time on, you know. Oh, we're going we're gonna to waste a lot of time. You know. But, but we got to learn some, too. Yeah, I think and that's a great idea. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's a, the best idea. Because there's no other way to explore mm-hmm. whether than... Or rather than to you, do it, you can't always explore times. on junk. Yeah, yes. you know, if you go there every time it's brown or it's thirty-two degrees, you're never gonna ever learn it. Yeah, it's oh, hey, this looks like a great stretch, but we, we don't, never catch you don't fish go here. somewhere with yeah. a new fly and say, "I'm gonna fish all this new water." No, you want to go somewhere where you kind of got the logistics, like I'm gonna get this fly down in this area, or I'm gonna fish it across this way, so you could catch the fish you've caught before on new shit. That, that, that's a well, big we're talking about fishing me. new water during the right about, time of Jason. year, though. Yeah, but I'm talking about you catch, know catching fish. We, yeah, but if, if you we have know one fish dependable option, and you 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 could build the you gotta have you gotta build that mojo for other shit, or you're you you don't have tricks. You see what I'm saying? That sure. I think I think it's always a time of year thing. This is I the know guy it. who thinks he can catch a striper now. No, but <clears throat> I know in the uh, certain time of year it's gonna work. If I throw a clouser in the spring, it's going to work. Oh, yeah. And yeah, then when no, you keep throwing a clouser throughout the year, you start catching smaller fish and less and, and not less big fish. I don't walk away and from many And you start throwing th- a bigger fish. swim fly like you like to throw, Jace, in the low clear times of the year or in the summertime when it gets a little bit warmer, and that's going to work better for bigger fish. Hopefully. I hope. Oh, it doesn't did. always. It, d- it will. Sometimes. Sometimes. I, I would like to say Some, smallmouth. Sometimes. Smallmouth are judgy. That's a very low probability. Not judgy. Sometimes. If you want to catch the big ones in the certain times of year, you just fish the bigger fly. But in the spring, you're going to have to throw something that's going to mature the time going to get you down. Pop, 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 pause. I don't know. It's going to be. That for pike in the spring everyone is not we, too small. Everyone we no. talk to. Everyone edge. we talk to says throw big swim flies in the springtime pre-spawn. That's everyone we talk to. Uh, Schultz. If somebody's going to eat, depending that's on water when levels, that's they, when they say is. high water as long as it's not muddy. High water, the bet, the higher the water, the better. I'm, I'm just saying the, the people that we talk to. I know. 
That's I watched Jace throw a swim fly, and Mark and I throw a clouser, and, ca- and, and that the was, difference in, in that was Labor Day. Yeah, that was a lot different. That was Labor Day. It's, but it's all water no, level. That was at a 700. But Jay, that was no. it. All depends. That's Jay, temperature. Though. That was Labor Day. That that was the total opposite of springtime. The one thing with it though is is. No matter the you know size, what I mean? of, no matter the size of the fish, yeah. I was running oh. the five k on Labor was, Day. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was yeah, oh yeah, it was way late. You but, took Jason. I was running the five k. Regardless, if you are a f- eighteen inch smallmouth, you're a forty inch pike, or you're a forty five inch musk, you are always going to eat three to five inch fish. Always, yeah, always, oh, no doubt. and you're no always going to eat a lot of them. I so mean, regardless of the time of the year, you can always throw three to five inch fish flies yeah. and All catch day. fish on. All day, always. Absolutely. Yeah. If they bite big shit, I, it, I, I, I think, think it, it's in our eyes that that's I think it's better. more of a water level thing than anything. Unless I you're going to throw, throw a big flies. Throw, Absolutely. Unless you're yeah. going to throw a if giant, giant. A, if I'm going up in a creek heavy, channel heavy in March. sinking line and get it down to where the fish are at in the spring, yes. So let's say it's March and it hasn't rained, it hasn't done nothing, and you have no virtual melt-off, so you have that low green water. Yeah, oh, sure. I'm probably going to throw a three to five inch fly. Yeah. If I go up there, it's been raining and it's high and it's dirty. No, I'm going to throw like a seven, eight inch bulky fly that pushes water. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be all dependent now, on what it is. And yeah, if it's sure. muddy like that, I'm going to throw some of those scalping helmet and a rattle in it. I'm talking about a pike. Yeah, a pike. I mean, I'm talking mouth. about small mouth. I'm, okay, I'm talking about pike or yeah. what have you. Small We're mouth. We're talking about fishing. <laughs> We're talking Shut about practice? <laughs> I practice I practice fishing sometimes, not not, not in the sense of, of any, small any mouth, casting. Uh, small mouth, just wait till post Speaking about practice, has anyone cast a flyer? Mark, cross your head. Have either you guys or me cast a fly rod in the last... Two months? No. Well, we did. We all did for. I fished with a bobber. At one spot. Oh yeah, yeah. On yeah, a warm day. A few weeks ago. I was launching it. I, no. I I've been tying push. flies and getting shit done in my house. Yeah, I've been getting shit my my boat done and uh. I hung my. So. I hung the. Uh, I hung the um, trailer up to my rafters so I could sand the bottom of it with a rope yesterday. Nice. And a couple buckets. In. What's that? Did you get the new boat. No, no, oh. no. The trailer I'm going to use for the raft. Mm. So I hung it up, uh, picked it upside, hung it up with ropes up into the rafters so I could sand the bottom of it before I prime and paint it too yesterday. Are you hand sanding? Yeah, just with a palm sander with like a... Like an electric palm sander? Yeah, yeah, so it makes it a little easier. My dad's going to get a... uh, Or he has a uh, wire brush for uh, just a drill or or an impact. I know what you mean. So I'm just going to... I might just clean up some of the corners with that thing too and then prime and paint it myself. Absolutely, man. Hey, that's the best. I got a little heater... And, you know, if I'm going to paint it, I'll just heat up the garage before I do anything. You might as well suck in fumes while you're sucking down suds. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll just wait till it gets warm, but either way. You know what? There's going to be so much shit to oh. do. When when it gets warm, that's what I was thinking about. The, uh, I, well, oh God. just one second. I told Mark yesterday, I was like, we can't do deer tails. Uh, it's frozen. The, the, the spout's going to not be working. Yeah. This is the time we need to be doing it, but but we can't because the we can't. And then when it gets warm, that's going to be the time that we have to do deer tails, and we're going to be want want to be going fishing, you know. Ah, you'll get them couple. <laughs> the, uh, you'll get them first fifty degree days. You, you know where, what I mean? I I know you, you know what I mean. <laughs> no, the, the things uh, hitch going on my trailer or my on your truck? Yeah, or on the Toyota you, on Friday. Are you putting it on? Nope. 
Somebody else put it on. The whole thing, good price. Thanks, Mark. Handlers? Yeah. Oh, Dave's the yeah. best. Yeah. Love him. Real good price. I used to send when Easy I was with sales. all the wiring, everything yeah. done, too. Don't, like when I something. was in sales, he was my guy. Free something. Yeah, they're too cheap. <laughs> dude, yeah. Hitch, Hitch wiring, wiring everything. everything, dude. I'm like, yes, he, he all day. I don't have to do it. for three and a half. Yeah. You dude, fuck, dude. I, I can't. You can't. Everybody you can't beat that, Chad. You can't beat no. it. This yes, is you, with the fucking thing in it. Yes, you can. You can buy the harness for $15 and buy the hitch for $75. Well, yeah. And then, yeah. And then you, have you do it DIY. If it's cheap, it's junk. <laughs> and in that situation, it's junk. And don't ever do that shit. No. I, I hate that. I, I mean, I, the customers a, would do that. And they would go and they would buy a piece of shit harness with a piece of shit hitch. And then they would come back and go, why does this shit not work? Because it was shit. I mean, I, I could do there. it. Is what I'm sure. What I'm getting at. But yeah. you're doing a lot of work yourself, Chad, and you got a lot of shit to do. I got a lot of shit to do. It's just okay. easier well, for it to well be then done. Thank you. Oh, it's just easier <laughs> for even it to be at done. That, I mean, even a cheap one that's decent still 150 bucks. Sure. Okay, 150 bucks plus a 15 dollar harness. Save is 165 bucks. Yeah. Compared and, to 300. And, uh, for that guy to do it and not be me. Yeah, that that's you know what I mean, and I'm I'm I don't fucking want to do it. I could probably not do it to myself mention, to be fucking. They're wiring it from not, front to back. Yeah, and they're doing all the wiring. No, too. you fucking scab into the tail lights. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. They're they're doing and everything that, the and right then way. And in two years, he's at my place wondering why I'm charging him a thousand dollars to fix it. Who charges a thousand dollars for lighting issues? Because they wire into, oh, oh, where do you want me to start? They've wired into airbag harnesses, so it blows an airbag. They wire into fog lights. They scab into the back with the light, so once Whoa, it hots. Whoa, we're not buying a car Once here, it Mark. hots, it shoots up, and it sends it into no, no, the no, no, ECM. No. So then the ECM Computer? gets fried. See if they're doing exactly oh, I've like, seen it. I've I don't seen know. all Mark, of that. Mark, you're talking to a mechanic, not a fucking... These Someone were, that works at Pet Supplies Plus. These were done truck. from shops. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the oh, amount of I work I have done from a shop. Oh. And I can rattle off all the ones locally. I can uh, tell you, please don't. I can tell you guys <laughs> that have been in business 20 years that have wired remote starts into airbag harnesses. Into airbag harnesses? Into airbag harnesses. Get her done. And they've inadvertently <laughs> deployed over it. Oh. Yes. They've wired fog lights in the in the window switches, so then whenever you turn your fog lights on, your windows you're, go down. Yeah, they go down. <laughs> oh, I've seen it all. Believe so me. How That's do you why I said whenever you're in this, just stick with it, go and don't mess with it. If that guy knows what he's doing. Leave it be. How do you make him go up? I don't know that. <laughs> I just know I just, it's a know, mess. That's not a terrible price. You got to turn your fog no, lights that, down. No, that is not a terrible price, Jack. For me not to do it, I could have done it cheaper with you doing it, but even like you. One of, you know, you were telling me about that roller. That's the cheapest way to get a roller, man. But if I buy a whole solid roller for the whole way across the back end of that thing for a couple, a hundred and twenty-five dollars, it's gonna be fucking dope. Mm. Did you see that thing that Pat sent us? That yeah, I, I, I text you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then that's a lot of work, and me putting it all together. If I get this thing, it's already fucking done. All I gotta do is two bolts right into something. That's gonna be so much cooler. So, are you going to tow the trailer with it from the eight ball? Or are you going to tow the big trailer that you've been at? No, no, the eight ball is getting, that's what's getting sanded down and everything. Okay, so you're yeah, going to use that trailer. Yeah, I'm modding that all out for the raft, yeah. Got it. It's going to be it. sweet, dude. When, I have an idea. So you're not, when using, is the green, you're not using an old blue trailer. When is know. the green boat coming into effect? I don't, I don't effect? know yet. As soon as I get room for, as soon as I get done with that trailer, I'll have room. So, okay. if you want to come help me, it'd be great. I don't, I don't need help, but. I would love to. 
Saturdays are fine. I, Saturday with a beer and, you know, sanding and painting. It's, it's going to be zero degrees. I'm not going to do anything fun outside. So, no. yeah. We have a heater in the Hopefully garage. Hopefully after next Saturday. Size motor. The you only put one. On that 9.9. On the green boat? The green boat already has a 9.5. Mm-hmm. 9.5. Yeah. Uh, it's an Evan Reed. Evan Rude. You gotta fucking love it. Yeah, my motor so it's an Evan Rude. My motor is so big it requires a license. It's a fucking Evan Rude, dude. All right, can we get out of here now? Yeah, we can get out of here. Mark's flies look great. Blah. Jace went ice fishing. And oh, uh, oh, hold on, <laughs> Mark. Mark, who do you got for the Super Bowl? Fucking sweet box. Box. Who do you got for the Super Bowl? Yeah, right there with you. Oh, Tom so there's Brady's three. The there's winner, three. Man. Tom Brady's versus me. Oh, Patrick Mahomes is gonna kick you guys' ass. Yeah, man. I can't wait to see Chad's fucking. I can't wait to see Chad's hairy ass in a fucking banana hammock with with Mark rowing. Hey, you want to see it now? And farts coming out. No, I don't. (laughs) Come on, buddy. (laughs) I'm just shaking my head, going, "I know you're right." Yeah, I'm going to be rowing somebody in a banana hammock because (laughs) twice in a year, Patrick Mahomes has beat either my team or who I picked. All right, fellas. Hey, tonight's show has been brought to you by Predator Fly Gear. Check them out at PredatorFlyGear.com. Yeti built for the wild. Eric's Hook's time and Eric's Hook. Hey, tonight's show has been recorded live from the Urban Fly Company studios. You took your headphones off. I thought you were out of here. Yeah, this is also SimsFishing.com, SimsFishing.com. And uh, next time, I'm going to come in before Jack comes in and uh, uh, cut his ass right off. Just kind of like our great guest we had on tonight, Mark. Thank Mark you Sidani. very much. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> uh, why not fishing? Check out your app, the dog. Queen City Guiding, our buddy Ryan Evans at queencityguiding.com. <laughs> Check them out. Take your head.